Hey everybody, Future Amon here, and I just want to say thank you so much to Games Workshop for giving us this preview content in advance for us to review for the community. We're really excited to talk about it, and again, they gave us this product for free. I hope you enjoy the episode! Welcome back to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. This is your host, Iman Kustro, and I'm joined by my co-host, Zach Cachetta. How's it going, brother? I'm doing amazing today. How are you? Good. I see you rocking a hoodie. Is it cold? I guess it's snowing, uh, right? This is this is my comfy. It's, it's literally just a blanket with sleeves and a hood. Oh. This is my favorite thing. It's so warm. Um, I see you rocking your Stormcast cloak. Yeah, yeah, something like that. No, it's uh, it's once again unseasonably cold in the Midwest for the middle of spring. So, uh, yeah, we're just doing what we can to to not freeze to death up here. Well, good. I'm glad that you are staying warm and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'm ready to talk about some uh, spooky elves. That's right. In this episode, we will be covering the Shadeborn. Um, if you are a Patreon listener, stick around for an end phase episode we'll be talking about a deck that one of us has created. It'll be like our first stab, pun intended, at building a Shadeborn deck. Um, And so, before we begin, this episode was made possible by our patrons, so thanks to everyone who supports us. If you're interested in supporting the podcast monetarily, please check us out at patreon.com slash pathoglory. If that's not possible, we still appreciate the listens and the ratings. So, let's jump into some Underworld's news here. Zach, we got an article on Warcom today. What was that about? Uh, that was actually about these elves, these little knife ears over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw some of the cards. Uh, we'll be talking about those during the episode. Um, and they gave away some of the uh, little spoiler alert, gave away some of the abilities and tips and tricks we're about to see. But uh, we're going to go into a nice deep dive here and and cover them in more detail. That's right. We most certainly are. Um, nothing's really changed in terms of other news or community shout outs. Um, that being said, um, just support all your Warhammer Underworlds community or content creators and the community discords. I think it's really nice to see, you know what? There is a shout out. I'm going to shout out the Vassal discord because the people in there are awesome. They're super communicative and the hype train has been fantastic. And honestly, the gifs and the memes chef's kiss today. Yes, red hot memes today. Yeah. And you know what? Support your own community too. It's great to Mm -hmm. talk about the online community. Make sure your local scene is thriving. If you don't have one, try to build one. This game is much better in person. 100%. And uh, as I mentioned, I think on the last episode, I am doing Warhammer Underworlds Wednesdays at my local gaming store starting next week. as kind of like hyping up and trying to capitalize on that Nether Maze hype train. And I'll be chronicling that experience my failures and my successes and i'm sure a couple lonely solo nights out there by myself as i attempt to grow the community back and my hope is that it rises from the ashes like a phoenix so we'll see yeah i just actually talked to my local game store uh the manager wants to start doing gw specialist game nights and they asked if i could show up and be available for Underworlds and Warcry and Kill Team and teach new people and, you know, be available to play. And I mean, that's right up my alley. So uh, I love that. Hopefully, hopefully I'll have some news from that too. 
Yeah, that'll be good, cool to talk about how we maybe we can help each other grow our communities. That'll be exciting. Yeah, tips and tricks. Yeah, and then we can get Jason. By the way, the reason you haven't heard from Jason in this episode or the last two or three is because it's his end of fiscal year. So he's just super busy. He's like driving. Like I talked to him yesterday and I was like, hey, you got a second? Just want to catch up on some things. And he was like, yeah, dude, I'm about to jump in the car for a four hour drive. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's half my work day. Sounds good. So yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. So shout out to him and we wish him the best of luck on the end of his fiscal year so that he can be, you know, back on and we can go back to, uh, having three people, three's company. Hmm? That might be kind of nice. We can have our own three man war band. <laughs> uh, I, I call Steelheart. That's fine. We all know Bright Shield is the true hero of the warband. That's true. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to skip this leave it or leave it because in the interest of time, um, we're already starting pretty late and we just want to get to the pointy-eared goodness on this episode. So we're going to talk about the Shadeborn. Um, as usual, we're going to talk about the miniatures. We're going to talk about the lore very briefly jump into the fighter cards, objectives, gambits, and upgrades. And uh, we'll start with the lore. So I'm going to read a passage out of the rule book. This is on page 10 if you'd like to follow along. So when Marathi discovered the whereabouts of the seditionists of Urama Othal, she summoned one of her most, most ruthlessly effective killers, the Shroud Queen Slythel. Ancient and ruthless, Slythel has slain countless dissidents and troublemakers for the Shadow Queen over the centuries, and had assembled a retinue of Shadow Stalkers who shared her single-minded hatred of all who dared question Marathi's rule. To the Shadeborn went the honor of hunting down the Rogue Queen Kiatan and her turncoat allies, and bringing their beating hearts back to Hagnar. Yet this is but a desirable front for a far more dangerous mission. It is only Slythel who knows the true goal of their journey, to discover the truth buried in the depths of Harrowdeep and how its mysterious powers might be harnessed by Marathi herself. This secret task has taken Slythel into the bowels of Nether Maze, an environment that will test even her merciless skills to the very limit. Wielding weapons forged from pure Shadowstone, Slythel is a deadly foe to all who stand in the way of her matriarch's desires. Branded with the Mirkoth shade mark, she is possessed of a mastery of umbral art so potent that she can leap between the shadows, appearing more akin to an insubstantial wraith than any creature of flesh and blood. Accompanying her are Drusilla and Belissa, two former witch elves, who compete with one another to commit the most gruesome, bloody killings. Their natural grace only heightened by Shadowstalker training. The fourth member of the group is Silark Greyblood. He is the lowest ranked despite his mastery of Ulguan magic and skill with the crossbow. For in the matriarchal society of Marathi Kane, males wield little power at all. See, this is great actually because this is a follow up from uh, a little bit of AOS and Warcry lore uh, mm -hmm. because. We first saw these Canite Shadow Stalkers in Warcry. Um, they were part of the Catacombs box, which was kind of mm -hmm. the underground um, uh, kind of corridor fighting version of the game. 
Um, and then they also appeared in Broken Realms Marathi, which was, yes. uh, th- they had like that, that campaign. And the Shadow Stalkers were like, they really hyped them up as Marathi's like elite assassin squad. These are the, when you need, need a job done dirty and quick, you call in the Canite Shadow Stalkers. Uh, I believe the story had them like teleporting into a sunken uh, Ideneth city to steal something from out yeah. under the noses of the fish the, elves. The, the lantern that they stole from Teclas. Yes. So the, the lantern like is the only thing that can let Teclas find them. Exactly. Right? And they're afraid of him. They're terrified of him. And then Marathi was like using it for her own ends. Um, so these guys kind of have a little bit of a storied history. And now we kind of see this coming to uh, Underworlds, coming to Nether Maze. And once again, showing that they're the, uh, they're the ones you call when you want the job done right. Yeah. When you want it done right, discreet. And uh, essentially, they're like SEAL Team 6. Yeah. They well, really the more are knives. with more, yes, more knives and, um, scantily clad bodies. Yes. We're an equal opportunity abs enjoyer here. That's right. That's right. Um, and in some cases, um, in this society, women come first. So <laughs> gray blood is, is not even allowed to look at his leader without her permission, which is wild. Uh, it's but a, cool. Uh, it's cool, yeah. It, yeah. It, they've really built up the Daughters of Cain. I think they've become a really interesting faction. Agreed. Yeah. I love the the call to real-world cultures, like ancient cultures um, and societies, but then giving that, you know, flavorful AOS spin. Like, mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorites is, like, the Duarden stuff. Like, they do a lot of contracts and stuff. So, that, we'll, we'll get into that, I'm sure, when there's another Duarden Warband one day. Yeah. But it's not, but today is not that day. So, no, we're all about the elves today. That's right. Um, I'm a big Legolas fan. I love elves. I think if you followed the podcast for a couple of years now, you'll know that uh, there are very few loves that I have in this game. But there are elves, there are Blood Angel Space Marines, and there are Slanesh, human mortal followers of Slanesh, not the demons. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're cool, you know, but I like the more mortal stuff. And, you know, if you didn't notice, you know, I'm from, you know, like the Middle East slash South Asia part of the world. And the Slaneshi um, mortals kind of have that aesthetic and vibe, like that Persian Arab Indian vibe. So, yeah, I, I love the miniatures. Yeah, that, that Persian vibe that they gave to the um, the Sybarites is just it's such a great design and it's very mm-hmm. unique compared to a lot of the stuff they did because, you know, before the old world's very, it, I mean, it was very European. And then the only things that came outside were like tomb Kings and lizard men. Yeah. Uh, and then like the few Amazons they had. So like now we get to branch out and, you know, we've, we daughters of Cain got, you know, that, that kind of Greek vibe um, with some of their stuff. But now we've seen like this, this, this and that and the other thing. And it's nice to see them try uh, to different stuff in their model design. So yeah. I'm interested to see what they do next. The old world is really funny because if you look at that full map, um, and the reason I'm so familiar with it now is because of Total War, right? One, two, <laughs> and three. Yeah. And um, it's really funny if you look at it, like Ulthuan is technically England, right? Mm-hmm. It's an island off the coast of Europe. And it's really funny because, like, the Dark Elves are where North America is. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't think so by some of the stuff. 
It's really funny the way that the, if you compare it to a real world map and then you have the lizard men in South America, you've got the tomb kings in like Africa, Egypt area. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's very um, sometimes obvious and, uh, um, you know, sort of examples that are pretty easily to tie back mm-hmm. and forth and then some not so much, but uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's uh, I'm, it, I think it's cool. Like the the lore they had back then was great. The lore they have in AOS now is fine too, and I mm-hmm. think it's all it's all enjoyable in its own right. That's right. Well, speaking of enjoyable, let's stalk into the shadows and start discussing the Shadeborn. So the Shadeborn is, if you haven't realized by now, a warband for Elven fighters, and we'll start with Slythel Shadestalker, the leader of the warband. Slythel is probably in competition for rocking most keywords on a fighter card I've seen in a while. Um, I think the only warband or sorry, fighters that might outdo her are the skinks. But Maybe. Uh, cause Hunter skink and something, I don't know, but Slythel is an assassin. She is a leader and she has the flying trait. So what flying means again is uh, when you're making a move or charge action when you're moving, you can um, move through blocked and occupied hexes as well as ignore damage from lethals during that move or charge. But but it no longer prevents you from taking damage when you're pushed into it or landing correct. on a lethal hex. Correct. Which it used to. Yeah. You kind of fly over it, but if you land, you get the boo-boo. Yeah. You get stabbed in the foot. That's right. Um so let's go to her stats here. She's four move, two dodge, and four wounds. Um, I really like that aspect mm-hmm. of it because elves are generally three. She's got an attack action called Shadow Stone Weapons. This is a range two, two smash, two damage attack with one of the best keywords I think I've ever seen in the game called malleable. Malleable states that in the declare action step, pick cleaver and snare. This attack action has that ability until it is resolved. Mm, tasty. Very. She also has an innate ability called Shadow Ambush. When this fighter starts a charge action in a cover or edge hex that is not a starting hex, you can resolve the move action of the charge action by placing this fighter in another cover or edge hex. Super cool. We'll talk about the ramifications of that in a moment. Her Inspire condition states that she'll inspire when this fighter makes an attack action that targets an enemy fighter with one or more wound counters. When she inspires, nothing really changes except for her Shadowstone weapon. Not only does it go to three smash, but it also gains the keyword Grievous. Yes. And there's a lot to unpack with this uh, mm-hmm. leader. Um, so I think, well, first of all, let's just say that this um, inspire condition is ubiquitous for the entire warband. Um, unlike some of the other ones we've had where you know, this, that the other character has their own inspire condition or split between like the two halves of a war band. Everyone's trying to do the same thing. So you can kind of plan uh, around that when you make your game plans. Um, But the big one here, obviously the weapon's great. This defensive profile is exactly what you want. Two dodge and four wounds is probably across the board. One of the best starter profiles for anybody who's not a five or six wound fighter. Um, this is the one you want on your leaders. 
But the big one here to talk about is Shadow Ambush. Um, and this was in the Warcom article today. Uh, anyone who's, who read the article, uh, I'm sure you've seen it and reacted to it by now. Um, teleporting is part of a charge. How do you rate this, Iman? I think it's incredible. Um, the thing is, is that it's an option, right? So you can charge this as normal. You can do the normal stuff with her if you want to. And she's got range too. So starting the game, you've got a threat range of six with a very accurate attack. As long as you're able to hit, you know, a smash or a crit at that point, your opponent is essentially defending on crits. So malleable is fantastic. I'm a big fan of shadow ambush because the fact that like there is no safe spot on the board for mm-hmm. your opponent. If you want Slythel to get somewhere, she can do it, whether the traditional method or through a shadow ambush. And it's really exciting because, A, more often than not, we're not going to see feature tokens on edge hexes. I think in all of Harrowdeep, there was only one game I ever played where the, like, we had to put it in an edge hex. And, like, that was at Adepticon. And, like, we had to, like, we, we called the TO over and we're like, hey, can you confirm if this is the last spot <laughs> on the board? So it's really cool because. That means she's going to have so many spots on the board which she can pop up. So even if you're playing in a really aggressive style of this warband with her, you can keep her in the back or on an edge hex, and then she can get into enemy territory regardless. They're not stopping her. That's the thing. And the last thing I'd like to add is in terms of options, you've got all the edge hexes, and then because the edge hexes are most likely not going to have cover hexes, you've got a bunch of spots on the board that you can finagle and pre-plan with your player place to gloom hex as well. So there's just so many different ways in which Slythel can get to whomever she really wants to, because I think it's almost impossible for your opponent to stop her from being able to hit somebody. It's incredible. Right. And note that this is not feature token or uh, gloom hex token. This is cover hex. So uh, currently in Harrowdeep, we have one board that has uh, two cover hexes printed on it. Um, but uh, we haven't gone over Nether Maze yet, but uh, just as a slight preview, three of the four boards have cover hexes in Nether Maze. And if people are using them, that is just more places for you to teleport to. If you use them yourself, that is places for you to start your teleport or come back into relative safety in your territory. Um I agree. I think this is a really interesting, flexible ability. You know, when I first saw this, I was like, teleport. Oh my gosh, teleports are insane. The one time we've had a, well, we've had a couple true teleports in Underworlds. Two of them came from Thorns of the Briar Queen. Uh, There was Sudden Appearance, which is restricted. Uh, That was the um, gambit that let you teleport. Uh, to any starting hex and there was uh, inescapable vengeance which is a briar queen upgrade and i don't think is restricted um and double check that real quick uh no it's not restricted um but it is very commonly taken uh getting your queen able to teleport around the board like this you know it's great and this is not an upgrade. This is just on her. But it is worth noting that this is only in a charge. So it does have its restriction outside of the positional restriction, which you can play around with, you know, with pushes and positioning and being clever. Um, it does have the condition that it has to be as part of a charge action. So while this is very powerful, it is only as part of a 
um, what's the, how, how do I want to say this? It's only as part of like a commitment. You can't use this teleport conservatively to be like, oh, I'm just going to pop over here and be like in a safe spot or like, oh, I'm going to like move over here and set up for next turn. No, you have to do it as part of a charge, which means you got to be come up somewhere within two hexes of an enemy and that there there's a commitment associated with that, especially if you're going first in the round, there's at least one, unless you kill that target and there's no one else nearby, there's at least one activation where your opponent's going to get a chance to get the counter swing. Um, so yeah, you have to think about it. I think it's a, extremely strong, but I think it's nicely balanced by both the positional aspect and the, um, the charge restriction on it that makes it a, you know, a, a very interesting ability and not one that is, you know, just, you know, do to do, I'm going to teleport every single time I activate this fighter. Uh, it is one you're going to have to think about using. Yeah. And keep in mind that the cover hexes are still giving you the same benefit that a gloom hex would give you. Exactly. Rolls of a double support count as successes. Mm-hmm. So essentially you've got um, a three up or four up on uh, a defense on two dice um, even when you do have to commit to um, an, a charge where your opponent still has one activation left afterwards. Um, so, I mean, it's it's a pretty reasonable chance of blocking the attack or at least being survivable because of those four wounds. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this is... I think this is probably one of the best fighters I've seen in a while, just in, just in terms of raw stats and ability. Yeah, especially these in, the inspired attack, you know... Uh, you can compare this very much to Drepper. Drepper. And people talk yeah. so much about how Drepper is has one of the best attacks. Now, Drepper has a reroll, but he doesn't have Grievous and Malleable. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably... I mean, it, it probably goes slightly more towards Slithail. I'm going to pronounce that badly this entire time. Um, I think it goes slightly better here because malleable is really flexible and grievous just means it can be a three damage by itself um but you know a little bit of accuracy to drepper but either way we all know that that attack is insane and this Mm -hmm. is just that attack like she is once on both sides she's very comparable to drepper because drepper on his front side is also two smash two damage two dodge Uh, two dodge so yeah they're very similar fighters Four move, four wounds, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, with fly as well. Like, you can compare them directly and, oh yeah, Drepper was so good that they had to nerf that warband. So, um, yeah, I think uh, think she's going to be just fine. Yeah, I think, so the the Drepper and Slythel comparisons are very interesting because, like, it's almost apples to apples at this point. I will say that, like, Drepper is probably more likely to land an attack mm-hmm. whereas Slythel is more likely to you know deal damage with her attack right um, because like with Drepper you're you're probably going to take cards that will give you Cleveland and Snare like Savage Soldier or whatever you're going to pay a restricted slot to try to give him Cleveland and Snare whereas with her you might pay a restricted slot for a reroll but candidly she doesn't need it three smash most attack most accurate um weapon attack profile in the game. I mean, the only thing better than three smash is three smash with a reroll or four smash, which exactly it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So in conclusion, this fighter is amazing. Um, but 
we'll have to see how the rest of the warband supports her. Yeah, and this is where the the warband I think becomes more interesting because we've already seen a very powerful four wound, two dodge leader with some insane offensive output and um, agility, right, and maneuverability. And then we go to the rest of the gang. So we'll start with Drusilla, Viserax. She is an assassin. She is four move, three wounds, and one dodge. She has a glaive and dagger attack action, which is range two. Three Fury, two damage. She has the same Inspire condition, and she has the Shadow Mark ability. She can reroll one dice in this fighter's defense rolls when this fighter is in a cover hex. So off the bat, very similar vibes to an Inspired car, um, uh, Wild Hunt. Yeah, I was going to say they have something very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, when she Inspires, mm-hmm. she... Goes to three damage on her glaive and dagger attack. She goes to two dodge and she gains an additional attack action called whirling blades, which is range one, two smash, one damage, grievous and scything. We all know how good scything attacks are, but Mm -hmm. I, I I interrupted. Let's talk about the, uh, what's in this ability box over here. Yeah. So shadow mark, I think is really cool. Um, And I think this kind of, reinforces the theme of the warband. They're going to want to... um, Oh, sorry. (laughs) Before we get into that, when she's inspired, she's also able to use the shadow ambush ability, which is the same ability we referred to just now where you can teleport, teleport, not teleport, teleport. Um, Essentially during a charge action, you can land on a edge hex or cover hex. That is not a starting hex. All right. She effectively goes... Instead of one dodge reroll, she has two dodge with the teleport ability instead. She loses that reroll. Correct. Clarity. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think Shadow Mark is really interesting. You know, it's how do I want to say? It's almost deceptive because you go, oh, one dodge is not that great. One dodge, three wounds is not that great. But one dodge with a reroll in cover is now pretty okay. I mean, if your opponent's rolling three dice and gets two hits, like, yeah, okay, you're, you're probably going to take that hit. But, like, a lot of people are two hammers. A lot of people are three swords. And those don't generally get multiple hits. You're usually just getting one hit. And even if they do get two hits, a reroll gives you a pretty good chance at a crit. It gives you about a 30% chance at a crit, I think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, it's deceptively durable. It's not terribly durable but it's you know you're, you're not exploding on site um and i think that's kind of the important thing uh but the attack the the attack is what really makes drusilla stand out to me and i think we'll talk about the other two but i think drusilla is like the one you really want to focus on inspiring next after your leader um because here is your three damage fighter at a range two three damage fighter range two three damage is i believe Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that has only ever been reserved for leaders. And um, Gorath. And Gorath. Uh, Gorath inspired. I always I always bloodthirst Gorath, so I don't even think about his inspired side. Oh, yeah. No, inspired Gorath is pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so one of the, you know, tankiest vampires in the game and leaders and now Drusilla. So range two, three, fury, three damage. That's a good attack man that's like a solid thing that you can do yeah i mean she's 
so like elves, right? In general, I feel like in this game are either like a warband that like everybody is good at one thing or they're glass cannons. And this is a warband, I think, that firmly falls in that latter category. That being said, so when I like to think about saves, because I played so much fantasy in Warhammer, um, I think about like numbers rather than side, like the the dodge symbol and stuff sure, like yeah. that. Sure, yeah. Two up, three up, whatever. Exactly. So when she's inspired, it's a five up. Um, re-rollable, right? Um, and if she's, in, or sorry, it's a five up, but it's a re-rollable four up if she's in cover, which That's is not perfect. bad. Yeah, it's not bad. And then she goes up to two five ups, which we all know to dodge, especially on gloom or cover can be absolutely ridiculous. Um, so it, it's it's pretty nice. I mean, like the three wounds does suck. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's an elvish thing. We get it. They're more frail, but it makes up for it in other ways, which is that maneuverability. I really, really like the range two, three damage. I wish it wasn't fury, but <laughs> it you know, looking at the miniature and seeing the the intensity and fury in her face and her pose makes a lot of sense. What yeah. I'm curious about is how good the whirling blade scything attack is. Because it's two smash grievous. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking about that as well, because it's like everything else kind of overshadows it, but you do just gain a scything attack. And scything attacks are like never bad like there, there's a couple out there that are like two sword scything and you're like okay yeah i'm never gonna do that but you know two hammer two smash scything i mean grievous is not reliable on two smash but yeah but then again if you're scything yeah you don't expect to get grievous off on all of them but if you hit two three fighters that's four or six dice and that's a much higher chance to get that crit and you're gonna probably do one damage, one damage, two damage, or one damage, two damage, you know, depending on how many fighters you're hitting. Um, yeah, I think, like, if you're into a swarm war band, like Exiled Dead, like um, Kynan's Reapers, this will come up. It's not going to be something you bank your entire game plan around, but, like, you get her inspired, and now your opponent has to go, oh, shit, that's a that's a scything attack that can one-shot my dudes. Yeah, so the potential of Grievous means that, like, in theory half the attacks that go through should be critical successes, right? Something like that. Something like that. That being said, I think she's a great candidate for great strength because a, Mm -hmm. you put her up to that four damage, but then you guarantee the two damage on the scything, potentially flexing into three. Um, I definitely think Drusilla is your beater. And I think I agree with you in that you really want to give her, the ability to inspire quickly because then with her and Slythel jumping around the board with pretty fairly decently accurate attacks and high damage output, I think they can clean house very quickly mm-hmm. if you have the right cards. Yeah, definitely agree on all points. So let's jump to Velissa Umbrail. She is the uh, another assassin in the warband. She's got very similar stat profile. She's got four move, one dodge, three wounds, but... She's different in that she has some combo action going on. So she's got a Shade Stalker Dagger, range one, three fury, one damage. I know, kind of low, but combo. Now, the combo attack that follows up is um, puncturing follow-up. So it has a keyword called flurry. Reaction, after this fighter's successful attack action with combo, make this attack action. And the follow-up attack action is range one, two smash, one damage. So in theory, you have to roll two attack actions 
to deal two damage at baseline. She also has that shadow mark ability, which allows her to reroll a defensive dice in a cover uh, hex. Mm-hmm. When she inspires, she jumps to two dodge. She gains the shadow ambush ability and she loses the shadow mark ability, very similar to Vasilla. And in terms of her attack actions, her dagger still does one damage, but it gets Grievous. So three Fury, one damage Grievous, which is very likely to go to two damage. And then the puncturing follow-up gets Cleave. So Um, what do we think about Velissa? I think out of all your fighters, like I don't think she's as important as Drusilla. Um, Mm -hmm. Interestingly, uh, Velissa can inspire herself. Um, Yes. Because if you hit the, with the first combo and then you deal damage and then you follow up with flurry, that enemy is wounded. I mean, maybe you're attacking two different targets, but you're probably attacking the same target. You hit with dam. you hit with uh, the dagger, you follow up with a puncturing follow up, you do two damage and you inspire. Now you're on two dodge, maybe in cover. Um, you know, there, there's, there's some nice setups for her. Um, it's nice that she can kind of go off by herself, you know, to set up the inspiration for the other ones. They kind of have to work in conjunction. Somebody's got to wound a target or you have to use a car to wound a target. And then you have to attack with your leader or Drusilla or the other guy we'll talk about in a second. Um, Velissa can kind of like, all right, there's a two damage or there's a two wound fighter over there. Go do your thing. And she just like goes over and kills it and inspires. And now she's like chilling in a corner and she's a threat. Um, a good target for a great strength. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at this and you're like, yeah, I'm going to want a Voltron, my leader, but depending on which cards you have, maybe your leader takes, um, glory seeker and weapons master because she's gonna, you're going to stack on her. Yeah. Weapons master is a, a gimme, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, other plus one strength cards that may or may not come around. And then you're just straight up great strength. You can throw on Velissa because now she has a two damage with, you know, inspired. She has a two damage with Grievous and then a follow up. That's also two damage. And that's a threat, you know, that, you know, you can make her a threat, but she's not, she's kind of not really a huge damage threat without any sort of damage upgrade. So I think she's less important. I think there's some matchups where she'll be very important. Um, swarm more bands with two wounds. She's very important early on because she can pop off that two wound. she can inspire herself and kind of, like I said, hang out and be that mobile threat that your opponents have to worry about. Um, but yeah, I think she's, I think she's absolutely fine. You know, same issue as before three wounds is squishy and she's your only one that is purely range one. Um, but you know, the, you Somebody has to kind of be the uh, the dangle bro, I think is the the old term from season one. Um, and it may be Velissa. It may be the, the next guy we'll talk about. But um, yeah, I, I think she's slightly less good than Drusilla. Yeah, I so I hate the word or I hate this term dangle bro. I really <laughs> do feel like every fighter can do something uh, really cool things. And in some cases, win you games, you know, like it's everybody true. makes fun of Legane. Legane's won me games. Legane has killed Molog. It's, it happens. <laughs> um, so um, not to say that you are using the term. I get what you, but I'm just saying yeah. like, I, I just don't like it. Cause I really do believe Velissa can contribute more than what 
like an Arnulf or a Targor, right? The memes could do, if you will. Sure, yeah. Um, now, you mentioned Great Strength. I think she's a perfect candidate for Great Strength. I will say, I think she's also a great candidate for Fighter's Ferocity. Mm-hmm. Um, she's already rolling a crap ton of dice. You know, three Fury followed by two Smash. So you can actually kind of double down on the critical ability, right? If you really want to. So she has Innate Grievous, plus, plus one, one more from Fighter's Ferocity. Um, she can do three damage and then three damage again. She can, you know, she could, in theory, one shot a Hrothkorn if you really want to get wild and the dice align. But um, yeah, I, I would, I really think I, while she is a great, great strength target, I think it really depends. And, it, you know, it the game could make the decision for you between picking Drusilla and Velissa, who dies first, right? Right. You can't control who your opponent picks to try to kill. You can try to deter them. But at the end of the day, if they want to do something and they have the cards to do it, they'll try it. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I don't think I think that's a great point because your opponent's going to pick which one they think is the bigger threat, right? Like, if they are more scared of that range two on Drusilla, Velissa is not a bad target to put your upgrades on. Like, obviously, if you bring fighter specific upgrades or something that's only range one or only range two or whatever, like then then it's more specific. But like generic stuff like great strength, great fortitude, fighters ferocity, like it can go on either one. And then you can kind of decide that at runtime effectively yeah and i really like Velissa because she reminds me of ripa or a ripa snarlfang sure it's the same idea right as soon as you get that plus one damage on there somehow um probably not feral symbiote just because like he'll probably end up taking damage from the hunger counters yeah uh, but even like if you really want to just put a savage strength on her sure she's a little easier to kill but if you're really looking for that damage throw that on there dude she is ripa yeah and, and if- we all know those dog bites stack and if you think of her as like a berserker as, you know, kind of like a, a, um, a kamikaze target or something like that, like you could throw on berserker strength. Um, mm. and now it's a force, uh, fury with Grievous and say three smash as the follow up, and they're both plus one damage. And you could just be like, yeah, okay. She doesn't get to roll dice and she's only three wounds. She's going to explode. But like, man, the thing she hits in the meantime is probably going to die. Yeah. You're going to trade yeah. her out. So that's, yeah, uh, that's a good point too. So berserker rage is a great, great shout out. Um, mm-hmm. Berserker so, rage. Yes. Yeah. I think there's some really good opportunities with her. Um, but we go to the next fighter. The last fighter rounding out the warband is Silark Greyblood. He's a level one wizard. Mm-hmm. He's an assassin. Remove four, one dodge, three wounds, same inspire condition. He's got a range one attack action called Cruel Blade, two damage, two smash. And he's got a repeater hand bow, which is range three, three fury, one damage. He has the shadow mark ability when he's uninspired. And he has a spell action. This is called Dark Lamprey. And it rolls on a channel. If cast, choose one enemy fighter with no wound counters within four hexes of the caster and or in a cover hex. Deal one damage to that fighter. Now, that's pretty impressive and really sets up the Inspire when he in when he eventually does Inspire. Very similarly, he loses Shadow Mark and gains Shadow Ambush. He goes to two dodge. His Cruel Blade stays the same, and his Repeater Handbow just gains Ensnare. What do we think about Slylark? I, lo- I love this guy. I, yeah. he, is, he is your round one fighter. I don't think he scales into late game like the others because yeah, you've got a two damage attack, you know, another reasonable target for a great strength and a pinch 
to make him a two smash three damage. That's fine. But like, he's the one that's going to make your round one setup good. He's going to ping people with dark lamprey. People are going to think very carefully about putting themselves on cover hexes. Um, he's going to inspire himself very easily early on because he's got that range three attack. So anybody that's wounded within seven hexes of him, he can just run up, ping, inspire himself. And now he's, you know, inspired probably in cover because it's very easy to stand in cover and shoot a range three attack. Um, The spell action, being only a level one wizard doesn't bother me because the spell action is a channel. So that's a two thirds chance to cast. That's exactly Mm -hmm. what Empower is for Rastus and Amos in Curse Breakers. And I I play Curse Breakers a lot. And a lot of times my first activation of the game is just, I roll Empower. And Mm -hmm. two out of three times it goes off. Um, And the effect is obviously great. We've talked in the past about how good ping damage is in general. Um, And any, you know, effectively any distance ping damage, like, that's that's good. I mean, yeah, your opponent has to be unwounded and be in a cover hex. Okay, they can play around that. They cannot do that. But, like, if your opponent's trying to score sinking feeling if your opponent's trying to score fearless seekers or horrors in the dark they're gonna have to put somebody in a cover hex and if you're not ready to engage and like dive in or you want to set up for that inspire you just go okay you've moved into a cover hex i'm still gonna sit here on the back of my board and shoot this little dark lamprey at you and it's gonna go positively for me i think i think he's great i don't think like I said, he's easy to set up the Inspire and you do get the teleport, but like you don't really care about his Inspired side. He gets in Snare. You know, he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't scale in the late game. So if he dies in round two, I don't really mind that. Um, but I think in round one, he is the mind game of the entire Warband. And I think that's awesome. For that, I love him. Yeah, I think well said. Slylark is probably my favorite character as well, just from a miniature perspective. Um, and I love Wizards. And he's got a crossbow. Like this is my inner dark elf just coming to the forefront. Like like he's everything I've ever wanted in a miniature. Um, and you're right. Really great early game utility. Really able to set up and lay up and then inspire. Dark Lamprey is fantastic. Um, yes, it's a chance to fail. But, you know, more often than not, it's going to go through. Um, and what I really like about the Dark Lamprey action is every single board that comes in Nether Maze has a lethal hex on it, at least one, mm-hmm. right? Which is pretty exciting. So what you can do potentially is Dark Lamprey someone and then, you know, maybe maneuver the board or use a power card and throw them into that lethal hex um, if you're not able to, you know, attack them with one of your fighters. And that's a really cool setup as well. You know, like action, deal damage, power step push you know with a hypnotic buzz if you're in range or whatever and that's a pretty nice way to get a kill yeah and you know it can also like kind of snowball with him that situation you just talked about right because you can okay say you're facing kynan's reapers they put a mortec on a cover that's near a lethal right now you are okay you go dark lamprey ping now i charge with Silark. i've got a threat distance of seven so i'm probably going to get in range of that guy you ping them you charge them you shoot them with a crossbow it doesn't matter if you hit like if you hit they die because it's a two wound that's already taken a wound and you inspire and you inspire and if you miss them okay then you just knock them back and mm-hmm. maybe into a lethal and you that's can right. like guarantee that and that is um 
that's really good. I think that's an extremely powerful one-two punch setup that he can do by himself with like with a dude who is ostensibly your quote unquote weakest fighter. Uh, and I think that's the, the mind, like I said, the mind games available from his distance and from his spell is just going to like your opponents are going to not think much about him, you know, when they first face him. And then I think as people get used to this war band, they're going to be like, all right, what the hell is Silar going to do in this first round? Exactly. Yeah. And and that's the, the beauty of, you know, his, his toolkit. Um, he's not overtly powerful, but you know, there is some, you know, sneaky things that you can do that can set up the kill. And um, I think being a level one wizard opens up a lot of magic potential because inadvertently, you know, there may be a card out there that's a single channel, really good spell. And he could be the conduit for that in your deck, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. Having a squishy non-leader as a single, as a level one wizard being your only wizard is like, you never, I don't want to put spells in my deck specifically for him but like you said if there's one really really good one that pops up maybe you take that quintox bubble that they uh, teased from nether maze Hmm. and you just go okay this is the only spell in my deck and if i draw this on round one i cast it on my leader or i cast it on one of my other three wound fighters and yeah it's dead later on probably but if i get this in round one that's going to make my game so much better to the point that like you're, you're chilling and I think you're in such a good spot if you get that off round one. So yeah, it, agreed. there's, there's a lot to think about with him. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not saying they're going to reprint sphere of action, but if there's like some sort of ping damage or something, you know, like a distraction, like hypnotic aspect or something like there's some really cool stuff that, you know, you can set up for him. So I think enough about the warband, the fighters, at least itself. Um, I think they're pretty good. Um, I think we both agree that the leader is bonkers. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you my usual question. Who's your favorite fighter, but you can't pick the leader. Um, for, for all the reasons we literally just listed, I think it's gotta be Silark. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think Drusilla is your power player. I think she's the one that you, you're going to, she's your backup in case your leader dies. She's the one that you're going to probably throw most of your upgrades on that aren't going on your leader. But Silark, like I said, is just the design of him is so good in so many ways that he's got to be my favorite. Agreed. Yeah. And if I can't pick Silark, I would go with Velissa just because I'm very curious on how you can make her very strong mm-hmm. um, and how, how successful and how reliable that might be. Um, because immediately when someone's like, oh, that fighter is not very good. And like, not saying that you're saying that. I'm just saying like, sure. You know, if someone if someone thinks that, oh yeah, like use her as bait. I'm like, but why? You know, what if she's like consistently able to win you games or kill people? Like, let's figure it out. And so that's what makes me attracted to her. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to note that she's the. I mean, Silark has a range one attack. You don't really care about it. Velissa has is the only one with a range one attack, and I could see you even putting in. uh, mighty swing just for her because mighty swing plus combo like yeah okay you don't get um i don't think you get flurry do you get flurry off of every attack in a combo if it's scything so the interesting thing about mighty swing is that it's not scything Oh, it's, it's make an attack separately it's just, against each it's one. It's just you make separate attack actions over and over again. So you would get flurry off each one, wouldn't you? I think so. Good lord, that's terrifying. 
yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have to be successful, but still. Okay. It's a lot of dice. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Take Fighters Frosty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, let's move um, on to the uh, objectives here. I mean, I, I yeah. agree with you. I think Velissa is super interesting, but I think we'll see more about how these fighters function once we get through the cards and kind of see the tools that are available in their toolbox. Agreed, 100%. So objectives is going to start out with a vicious kill, and this is a surge. Score this immediately after a vulnerable enemy fighter is taken out of action uh, for one glory. Yeah, so this is interesting. Um, the way that this warband plays is it's like playing into that dark elf sadistic tendencies of like letting them bleed out or disemboweling them and then finishing them off very cruelly. And that's where that vulnerable mechanic comes in, um, in theory. Now, I think it's a very meta-dependent card. Um, I, I completely agree that there'll be scenarios in which, you know, you have one damage left and then um, you dark lamprey them or you push them into a lethal or you ping them um, through the faction or universal cards. It's it's probably going to happen every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, is it going to happen every game? Um, in every game, in every best two out of three, at, every comp- at a competitive event, that's what your surges need to be. You need to be able to score them every time you play them. And I'm not necessarily sure if you can get this off reliably unless it's a lot of big boys who require multiple hits or it's a lot of small guys who are really easy to ping ping with Silark or something else or Drusilla with her attack action. Cause Drusilla can, or Vasilla, sorry, Vasilla can charge somebody hit for one damage combo hit for one damage. She scores you this card and she inspires. But again, if everybody's playing three or four wound fighter warbands, uh, it's, it's probably something that you might skip out on. Yeah, I think even if they're a five-wound faction, it's not very good because the numbers you're hitting with this warp end is two damage and three damage. Um, three damage naturally with Drusilla, three damage with plus one upgrade on your leader or with Grievous on your leader. And if they're five wounds, you're hitting them for three and then you're killing them with two. You're not going to like take that extra action and be like, okay, now I'm going to hit you with a damage one just so I can make you vulnerable and then kill you with this card. In general, vulnerable feels like a mechanic. Like there's, we've seen upgrades that require vulnerable, right? I think there's a couple order specific Grand Alliance cards that are like illusion only give this to a vulnerable fighter or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Or uh, that was a truth seeker specific one. It is a truth seeker specific one. Yeah. yeah um, and, like you never take that because it's like, how do you plan around being vulnerable? You can't, right? It's like, it's really, really difficult. Um, and this is the same thing it, it, in the same vein. It's like, yeah, like you said, I, I very much agree. Sometimes fighters are going to be vulnerable and then you kill them. But are you going to have this card in hand? Maybe, probably not. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with everything you said. Yeah, and, and I like what you said about the vulnerable mechanic. Like, on paper, and I'm sure in the brainstorm session when they first created it, it's like, oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we talk about one-shot one, sh- one shot meta. We talk about, like, there's so many specific conditions. When my fighter happens to be vulnerable, will I have this card, etc.? Like, it's just not something you can rely on either way, I yeah. think, ultimately. Uh, so... It's fine. Like, I, I don't think this makes the deck. But uh, next we'll talk about another interesting one. So this is All is Shadow. Dual, score this in the third end phase. If 
two or more friendly fighters are each in a cover hex or edge hex, and no friendly fighters are in your territory. So it's conquest with extra. For three glory, yeah. And it's, um, so it's really interesting. Like, A, there are going to be times where, so the reason I don't like conquest consistently is because your opponent can effectively charge into your territory to force you to fight them if your deck is revolving around being aggressive, which this deck kind of wants to be aggressive, mm. designed to do ping damage and multiple attacks on fighters, etc. Um, do I think it's perfectly acceptable to take it? Sure. But with the fact that there might be games because you have such a weak defensive profile for three of your fighters... There are going to be games where you just like get charged first activation and lose a fighter. And like, that's going to suck. And then over the course of the game, because your fighters are actively trying to attack enemy fighters, that means they're going to be in attack range, which means they're going to be in attack range for the enemy fighter. I just don't think you're consistently going to have two fighters left at the end of the game. Um, I, I think there's some better end phase scoring that you can take. And while three glory is attractive, Ultimately, I don't think it's going to make the cut because it's a lack of consistency with the way the Warband is designed to play, which is in your face, making attacks. Yeah, I agreed on all points. Um, the sentiment that it's three glory for third end phase, it's like very tempting, but any third end phase in general just has to be reliable. And I, yeah, I agree. This is not going to be consistent enough. Yeah, I think I'd rather take pure carnage over all the shadow. Sure. I mean, you're very aggressive and your guys die. So I think that's a yeah. reasonable take to, to even think about. Yeah. Um, next, we've got Coiling Darkness, and this is similar. So this is dual. Score this in an end phase, any end phase, if two or more friendly fighters are in cover hexes and one or more of those fighters made one or more attack actions of this round. For two glory, I should note. Yeah, this is really good. Um even though it's similar to all the shadow, this is just for one end phase. It can be the first end phase. It can be the second end phase. I think you would struggle in the third end phase, but I think that's a theme between a lot of the cards we're talking about this card and clop hack is that there are a lot of good cards that are really good for you early game and getting this early game, I think would do really well for your glory total. Um, your fighters, I mean, your queen, they're your leader. She can uh, teleport to a cover hex on demand. So you can teleport, last activation of the round onto a cover hex that can be part of a charge. So she's made the attack action. She's chilling in the cover hex. As long as there's no distraction to get her off. Um, and you already have another fighter, probably Slylark because he's probably just pinging from three hexes away. I mean, I think it's pretty reliable and I think we're going to take sidestep and, um, you know, cover of darkness and shadow lure probably. And, you know, because there's so many benefits to keep them alive in a cover hex at the and you know, when they're uninspired, that it's going to be pretty reliable. Yeah, agreed on all points. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, the next one we have is an excellent 300 reference, uh, Fighting in the Shade. <laughs> Score this in an end phase if your warband made four or more attack actions this round. Yeah, so this is essentially keep chopping, but for one glory. Um, oh, yes, one glory, I should say. Yeah. And for that reason, I don't like it. Mm. I think the benefit of making four attack actions was I'm still going to get two glory. So it's worth sometimes making um, attack actions that not might be the most strategic thing to do. 
in this situation, there might be some instances where I want to use like lamprey spell action mm-hmm. um, or make a move, you know? So yeah. maybe I don't have four, like four fighters, you know, maybe I have to draw a card, you know, I just, it's not reliable. It, it's not. I mean, it, you can make it somewhat reliable because Velissa has combo and that combo doesn't mm-hmm. always get off. But when it does get off, he, she's two. We'll see a couple power cards that allow you to make a couple extra attack actions. But yeah, I mean, if this was two glory, yes. One glory, no. Uh, nowhere to hide. Surge. Duel. Score this immediately after a friendly fighter's attack action. If the target was taken out of action, so a kill, and the attacker and or the defender was in a cover hex. One yeah. glory. So I like this card. This reminds me of Ritual Kill from the Wild Hunt, where it was the same thing, but an objective. Um, And I ran that card for a while and ultimately cut it. Um, But because of player-placed glooms, um, because cover hexes are innately on the board, I think this is a really, really easy card to score. Because either you're going to be attacking from the shadows or you're going to be trying killing enemy fighters who are trying to get that defensive benefit from being in a cover hex. So mm-hmm. I am a big fan. Prolonging the inevitable is our next one. Score this in end phase. If one or more friendly fighters are adjacent to one or more vulnerable enemy fighters to glory. Now this is so interesting because like in underworlds, the right choice nine times out of 10 is to kill the enemy fighter. Right. Yeah. I would say almost like 9.9 times out of 10. So what you're essentially telling me is put my fighter in a vulnerable position, right? And no pun intended, but Mm -hmm. take it as you will, because I could lose the roll off at the beginning of the round and be punished for that. That being said, two glory is tempting. um, And it's not necessarily too difficult to set up um, because of the way that the damages are happening. If it's two wounds, you have one damage fighters if the enemy is three wounds, you have two damage attacks. If the enemy is four wounds, you can get to three damage very easily. So the math works out. It is slightly meta dependent, but I still think you could do it with crushes. So ultimately, do I think it's the risk versus reward? And I don't think it is worth the risk. So yeah, it, it's risky. And it's also like we've talked about the last vulnerable card. It's uncontrollable. Like you can try to set this up. And then they could put on a great fortitude. You could try to set this up and miss your attack. You could try to set this up and they have healing potion. Like, I think there's just too much. Like, it's going to feel awkward because I think you're going to have games where you end up in the situation by happenstance. Like, you end your turn or you end the round and you're next to a vulnerable fighter and you're like, man, I really could use two glory right now. But you're not going to think about the other games, 80% of games, 90% of games where that doesn't happen. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it's cool though. Like they're, they're really trying to lean into this vulnerable thing. And I, we, we talked about the, the stagger package uh, as part of claw pack. And I think they've tried to build in this vulnerable package. And in both instances, it's a mechanic that's just like, it's not reliable enough. It's a cool idea, but it's just not like there for the cut. Agreed. It's thematic. It's fun. You can try to make it work in Rivals and Rivals Plus. But in going back to Championship where like the best cards, there's probably like maybe 30 cards that are worth your time out of the whole set. 
And when you're competing within 10% of the entire set for the cards that you're looking to put in your deck, that's where mechanics like stagger and vulnerable fall quite short. Yeah. So we'll move on to sadistic tendencies. Score this in an end phase if three or more enemy fighters are out of action and or have one or more wound counters. One glory. Yeah, I think the artist is a bit meta here because we've got Gulgach, you know, looking like pretty, like he's, he's, he's hurt and he's taking a lot of damage. But conveniently enough, like the way that you score this card is the way that they would inspire. Yeah, so right. It's, it's uh, pretty funny. It's pretty meta, actually, if you think about it. Um, but for one glory, I think it's a lot of work to do. Um, that being said, there's a lot of ways in which you can do ping damage, whether through fighters or cards. So in a warband in which you're trying to deal damage, inspire off fighters that are already being damaged. And again, we haven't really discussed the inspire too much. Like, because again, we want to play this one shot game. Mm-hmm. But this warband is kind of telling us that we shouldn't play a one shot game. So that's a whole other conversation. Maybe we can jump to towards the end of the episode, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I, I'm kind of like 50, 50 on it. I think I'm leaning. No. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. I, it's, I, I want to like it because it's one glory that you have a lot of control over actually, you know, yeah. out of the ones we've seen so far, this is the most reliable one glory end phase. Cause it's like, You've got range three, you've got range two, you've got a spell, you've got, you know, we'll see some ping damage uh, power cards coming up. You can really spread out the damage and do this, but like you said, you don't want to spread out damage. Generally, you want to put all damage on one until it's dead, especially when it's an important enemy fighter. What's the point in putting two damage on Hrothkorn and then two damage on uh, Thrafnir and then one damage on Bushwhacka? Like, there's no point in doing that right so yeah i mean i could see this being your 12th card if you're just really struggling for another end phase objective but hmm, wouldn't be the first one i i put in yeah uh savor the kill score this in an end phase if one or more enemy fighters are vulnerable one glory I don't think we need to spend too much time on this card Mm. um, in the interest of time, but also like redundancy, like it's a little bit easier than the other one Mm. because it's any fighter, but it's also only one glory. It's only, yeah. And if you're playing against crushes or it's just hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I do like um, the card art has Duke Crackmarrow, one of my favorite characters in all of underworlds. And the best part about uh, Grimwatch was that all their, um, flavor text was like you know it's like ungodly uh ghoul sounds and then the yeah. translation underneath and they they brought that back for this so it's uh, yeah it's nice that's a nice ode and again i have to say i love the fact that this is the first season where we're seeing fighters fighting the members of the warband from previous seasons mm-hmm. usually it's just the same season but this is really bringing that cohesive historic nature of underworlds and bringing all of the seasons together in this new setting Mm. through the art, which is beautiful. It's awesome. And they should have done it a long time ago, but I'm glad they're doing it better late than never. Very much agree. Uh, Next, we've got strike the head surge score. This immediately after an enemy leader is taken out of action. One. Yeah. We've seen, we've seen a lot of cards like these, right? And 
the challenge with this is enemy leader, very strong, highly defended. Your opponent's very careful generally with the enemy leader, or if they're very aggressive, it's because they are survivable. So are you telling me that I'm going to have to be in a situation where I should not kill the leader because I don't have this card in my hand? But what if it helps me win the game? I think these kind of cards will hold you back a lot. And for those reasons, you should avoid them. Same. Uh, Excellently put. Uh, Next, we have the Shadows Deepen. Hybrid. Score this in an end phase if each surviving friendly fighter is in a cover hex or two or more enemy fighters are in a cover hex to glory. So I like this card because a lot of times what we've seen in the current meta, especially post Adepticon is you're either going to have fighters who are going to charge into your territory and jump on cover hexes, or you're going to have war bands that sit in cover hexes and just flip at the end and score glory. Or you're just going to have people who ignore both and just try to murder you. In that example, I think it's really interesting on how often you're going to see fighters end their end phase with the cover hex side up. Um, There will be a lot of scenarios where they'll try to flip and score, which can sort of stop you from scoring it. But then you've got the, you can have the controllable half of the objective where you can control your fighters being on the cover hex. Um, You can also finagle this with pushes and distractions. I'm not saying this is like the best faction end phase they have. I'm not saying you should take it. I'm just saying that it's possible. Mm-hmm. And there's a card called Lost in Shadow that's very similar. Um, I was just about to bring that up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, go for it. No, I was, I was going to say, like, there, there's some synergy here um, it, between the two, you know. There is the first portion of this where you can just put all your fighters in cover hexes, which is mm-hmm. easier later than it is early. Um but yeah, the same idea with Lost in Shadow. I mean, you, you probably wouldn't lo- run Lost in Shadow in this deck particularly because of the, the the other portions of it. But like the idea of making your opponent think about, do I want to be in a cover? Do I not want to be in cover? And a lot of them leave cover up at the end of the round because, well, what if you go first and then you charge yeah. me and I want that cover bonus? But what if you have dominant position? Do I want to flip this? And, you know, you have that objective up. And, you know, it, th- there's a lot to think about. And I think cards like this, once they seed in a best of three, will make their next two games. They have to think about it because it's a two glory. Agreed. And it, I also feel like it is slightly meta dependent. I feel like in an environment in where a lot of people are trying to score off holding objectives, you probably don't want this. Hmm. But in that situation, then we'll probably see more war bands that have a larger number of fighters who are overall weaker individually. And that's okay, because then you can just like ping them, murder them, etc. Right? Yeah. Um, but in an environment in which that eventuality is not occurring, and you are playing against warbands that are actively invading your territory or holding onto cover, scoring off cover, this allows the warband to adapt in those times. So, again, like Lost in Shadow, it's a cool card, it's niche, it works when it works, Mm -hmm. but it'll screw you when it doesn't. Yeah, and not hyper-consistent, but maybe enough for any end phase to glory. So, I think you'll, this will be part of the deck-building experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Umbral Raid is our next one. We have Duel. Score this in an end phase if two or more friendly fighters are in enemy territory and each of those fighters is within two hexes of one or more enemy fighters to glory. 
I think it's a good card. Hmm? Because of Shadow Ambush. It's very controllable, very consistent. Um, and it's just two fighters, so you can probably do it round one, round two. And there's a good chance you could do it round three. Yep, I definitely agree. Um, the only caveat is that this puts you in some of the same awkward situations as um, Unafraid, where mm-hmm. similarly to Unafraid, you may end up in a spot where it's your fourth activation. You have this in your hand. Do you kill the fighter you're next to and not score Umbral Raid? Or do you leave them alive and score Umbral Raid? And do you do the same thing with um, Unafraid sometimes where it's like, do I take this swing? I have a two glory card in my hand that I want to score and cycle but I also want to kill this person. So like there will be weird situations, but we've seen that unafraid is, I mean, you take it anyway because it's that good. And this is just, I I think even a better version of it. Yeah. And I feel like in that situation, I just go for the kill because it probably ends up being more of a detriment to my opponent Mm. than it is a detriment to me or a benefit to me. Um, And even if I miss then I have my backup option, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of options and, decisions you can make there but you're right it can be annoying sure um and then for our final objective we have unseen malice this is surge dual score this immediately after a friendly fighter use their shadow ambush ability so that's a teleport and that fighter's attack action took an enemy at fighter out of action in the same activation one glory yeah, this reminds me of like Warcraft where like Rogue teleports behind the enemy and then just stabs him in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really cool thematic card. And I think there are going to be a lot of scenarios in which you are able to pull this off. The question I think that Zach proposed earlier, and I think I did as well on two separate cards is, are you going to have the card in your hand when you make the Shadow Ambush? Right? Because at the beginning of the game, the only one who can Shadow Ambush is Slythel. Um, so it's, it, it's interesting, but I think it's, if you build the deck, right, I think it's consistent enough to where you could do it quite often. Um, but it also is meta dependent again. Cause like, are we in a meta in which you're fighting a lot of warbands where fighters can be one shot mm-hmm. and in the match against claw pack, which you'll probably play a lot in the beginning, I think you'll see a lot of success with unseen malice, but as you branch out and you fight crimson court or even another elven warband like elephant soul raid who start at three wounds for most of their fighters. It can be frustrating, I think, and might clog up your hand in some cases. Zach, what do you think? Um, I agree. I think it's... I think as the game goes on, it gets more scorable as you get more guys inspired. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think it clogs up too badly. Like, it's not a clog to the point where it's like, oh, I had this in round one and I didn't score it, so I want to throw it away. Now it's kind of like a, I didn't score this in round one because I only was able to do it with my leader, but now it's round two and I have Drusilla inspired as well. And I have two shots at this effectively because they both can do their shadow ambush. Um, I think it's a solid surge. I, I don't think it's bad at all. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. I think it's a really fair take and I might be overly critical on it, mm-hmm. um, but I just, Cards like these have burned me in the past, so I might be jaded too. So That's true. Yeah, it's not a perfect surge, um, and you might cut it, but I think it's good enough to keep. Yeah, because yeah. Like, I would almost prefer like get a kill if you're an assassin in enemy territory. Mm-hmm. Just because like, 
this is just like one activation has to go right. Right. Whereas, yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? So Yeah, there, there's not a whole lot that you can do early on. Yeah. But I think you're right in that it's just probably good enough to where you take it. Mm-hmm. At least in the beginning. So what's your favorite objective, my friend? And what do you think of the objective deck as a whole? I think the objective deck is a little on the weak side. Um, I don't want to say it's terrible because we've seen bad objective decks in the past. Um, <laughs> there's there's good cards in here. Um, there's situationally good cards in here. Um, I really my my pick for favorite is Coiling Darkness. That's the two fighters in cover hexes and one or more of those fighters made it one or more attack actions this round. I think that's an excellent two glory card. Um, but there's also a lot of card. I mean, we just you know from what we just did, there's a lot of these that we've talked about. We were like, yeah, that's nice, but I don't know if I put it in my deck. And that kind of feels like the the overall feeling of this objective deck to me. I agree. I think this is one of those decks where it's like there are some options and I think depending on how you want to play them can help. But I think as long as you can find two or three cards that you can put in your objective deck, I think that's job well done. Mm-hmm. Right? Like a lot of the warbands that we see are successful have like three to five you know, faction objective cards you take and then you can build around it. And I do think that you can do that with this warband. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm going to go with Nowhere to Hide. Mm. I like that one. It's a surge. Very good. It's cool. Yeah. So big fan of that card and the card you chose. Yeah. And I think we'll see uh, nowhere to hide. will also gain some interest as we talk about these gambit cards, because there's a lot of synergy with that as well. Yeah. And I mean, if we're looking at this and we're going to talk about the ones that we rated more favorably, favorably than the others, we've got coiling darkness, nowhere to hide, um, umbral raid and unseen malice. That's four, that's four cards. Two of them are surges. That's good. Yeah, two surges and two two glory end phases. I mean, those are, while there's a number of not great cards, those are the types of cards you look for in a faction is surges. Having faction surges is huge. Having faction two glory cards is huge. And even if your one glory cards are like, nah, okay, whatever, like the ones you want are available. And I think that exactly it's good enough. Like at, at worst case, you've got a third of your objective deck built. It's a great setup for championship. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So we're going to jump to the gambits now. So um, we're going to start with a gambit spell called Abyssal Summoning. This casts on a channel. If cast, give one shadow counter to one fighter within three hexes of the caster. Fighters with one or more shadow counters treat the hex they're in as a cover hex. In addition to other hex types, discard all shadow counters at the end of the phase. Zach? What do you think? It's good. I think if you're going to bring a spell, I I would not put in more than one, maybe two spells in the deck. Like one yeah. probably um, because Silark is, you know, he's your only guy. He's only level one wizard, whatever. Um, if you're only going to put one in, this is not a bad one. Um, you, as we'll talk about this, uh, shadow counter is pretty ubiquitous across a lot of power cards, uh, this mechanic. So, um, the whole, it's a counter that makes you count as being in a cover hex. This one's very interesting because it works both on friendly and enemy fighters. You can put it on an enemy if you have something that's like kill, you know, uh, nowhere to hide. Uh, sorry, not nowhere to hide. Um, 
yeah, nowhere to hide where you have to mm-hmm. either be in a cover hex or kill an enemy in a cover hex. Like you can put on the fighter that is going to do the attack, or you can put on the target. If like, if Psylark is in three, within three hexes of an enemy and not within three hexes of an ally, you can put it on that enemy shadow ambush with an ally, hit that fighter that you've just given the token to. And now they're in cover and you can score nowhere to hide. Like it's a very flexible card and it's a very, um, it's a very easy one to cast. It's one channel. So like, yeah, this is good. I mean, you're probably not going to load up on spells, but like I said, if you're going to put one in here, this is one to go with. Yeah. It's a good utility one that helps you a shore up the defenses of your warband early game. If you really need it to and B help you score other objectives. Now, the interesting thing about this card is it says discard all shadow counters at the end of the phase. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm assuming end of the phase is action phase. Yes, it'll be action okay. phase. So you won't Good. be in cover to score objectives. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it can help you score. And we'll talk about this because there's other cards that give uh, shadow tokens um, or shadow counters. Uh, it can help you score horrors in the dark because that's a surge that requires you to be in a cover in enemy territory. Um, Correct. There's, I think there's one or two others. Um, but yeah, you can't score fear the seekers with this. You can't score... Um, sinking feeling with this but any surges are definitely viable options yeah because yeah yeah it can't doesn't help with like lost in shadow stuff like that either so Mm -hmm. it's an important distinction um and i'm glad we clarified it um overall i think we both like the spell so we'll move on to the next card Mm -hmm. which is gloom web hex it is another gambit spell that casts on a channel if cast choose one enemy fighter in the next activation step Minus one dice from that fighter's attack actions to a minimum of one or minus two dice from that fighter's attack actions instead to a minimum of one if the target is in a cover hex. Do you think that's if the target's in a cover hex when you cast the spell or when they make the attack? I would believe it's when they make the attack action. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I don't like this card. <laughs> uh, I think... I think the fact that you have to choose a fighter. So first of all, it's another spell. It's not as good as the first spell. It's not as good as some of the other spells we have. Um, and then you choose a fighter. Uh, in It only works for their next activation. So they could just not attack in that activation. They could just activate another fighter. They could just go move on to an objective. Like these types of things where it's like, choose a fighter in the next activation, they're worse. It's almost never taken. So yeah, this is a pass for me. Yeah, because if you choose one enemy fighter, they might do something else with a, a different fighter you didn't choose, right? Mm-hmm. I think the coolest thing about this card is that Psylark is doing his own version of the Kamehameha. Yeah, with uh, with some spiderweb stuff. It's uh, yeah. It, the, the card art in this faction is just gorgeous. I love it so much. It's incredible, yeah. Let's go to the next one. This is cool card art as well. Impenetrable Darkness. Give each friendly fighter with no move or charge tokens one shadow counter fighters with one or more shadow counters treat the hex therein as a cover hex in addition to other hex types discard all shadow counters at the end of the phase so same wording as uh, abyssal summoning it hits everybody if you have this in your opening hand well i mean if you uh, any round this is good because like you played mm-hmm. in the first power step I guess it's only bad if you go first and you really want to charge and then the fighter that charged doesn't get a shadow token. But even then, like yeah. you just charge into a cover hex and then you give cover to the rest of your fight. Like this is an insane card. 
Um, now, comparing this to other defensive tools that we've seen in the past, we just talked about Claw Pack and how they have some very powerful defensive cards. Everybody being in cover is good, but it's not like Dwarden Resilience good, right? You know, it's not reduce all incoming damage to one. It's it's a better defense, which is like fine. And everybody being covered does things like activate your um, shadow mark. Shadow mark. It activates uh, the shadow ambush. Um, it it lets you score. I mean, with this, you score horrors in the dark, dark just by being in enemy territory. Period. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, so round one, you just use this. Everybody has is in cover, and then for the rest of the round, they're in cover, which is. I think very, very strong for all the synergies we've talked about with um, nowhere to hide and uh, horrors in the dark. And as we'll see, there's some object or upgrades that care about being in cover as well. Yeah. I think you did a really good job of summarizing the card. Mm-hmm. I like it. Next card is rippling darkness. Choose one enemy fighter in a cover or edge hex deal one damage to the chosen fighter. Hey, it's a pink card. Look at that. This is a five star card. We like you. Yeah. We like you very much. Hey, remember when lethal hack or le- Lethal Hex, Lethal Ward, the one where it was deal a ping damage to somebody in an objective hex. And everybody ran that card. It still it still exists. It's in Essentials. Is it in Essentials? Yeah. Lethal Ward's in Essentials. Well, I can't... I'm like flabbergasted that I missed that. Okay, I need to start putting that in my deck. Well, I guess it's less good now with all the Gloom Hexes and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is this is even better because it also works on gloom hexes. It works in cover hexes. It works on edge hexes. This is just it's insane. Like there's not enough I could say about this card. Yeah, it's great. I think you're in a in a warband that does chip damage and likes attacking fighters who are already taking damage. Mm-hmm. You can play rippling damage or darkness and then attack, inspire, kill. Great, it's good. Next one is shade stalker darts. Choose a friendly Drusella or a friendly Velissa. The chosen fighter makes the following attack action. Three fury, range three, one damage attack. I like this card. And I love it. I like it feels like a card I should dislike because it's like make a mediocre attack action with one of your two squishier fighters. So like there's part of my gut that's like, oh, this is a bad card. But like this is a good card, isn't it? It's a great card. It's you get a free attack. You get a 13th activation. Yeah. I, I mean, you wouldn't choose this. This is a far strider shooting attack. You wouldn't choose that as your attack if you wanted it. This is not, you know, ready for action, but it sure. is inspire. It is chip damage. It is push a fighter off of an objective, you know, mm-hmm. whether as long into a lethal, into a lethal, even if you, even if you, unless you miss entirely, you're doing something with this now. Yes. Granted round three they've killed your two lesser ladies maybe this is a dead card but like most of the game this is a sick card it's incredible and the cool thing is is that this can be this can do more damage if you have the upgrades mm-hmm. if you got a glory seeker on drusella who's hitting at four damage and range two and then you're like i'm gonna throw a dart at hrothgorn hit for two mm-hmm. and then hit him for you know, right before my activation and then charge you can set up to where you kill Hrothgorn, in theory, or Morgok or whatever, and inspire if you're not already inspired. I mean, it's it's just great. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, and it's three it's three fury, so you might be running. We've been talking about fires ferocity. It's usually not the plus one damage card I go for, but this might be a faction that like they've got a lot of three dice attacks. 
they've got a lot mm-hmm. of uh, extra dice, make another attack with combo. Like this might be a faction you reach for, and then this just works with it. So yeah, great. It also can score you branching fade in the power phase. Ooh, true. Yeah, that's actually, I didn't think about that at all. This is, this is a great card. I love this card. Very good card. I'm a big fan. Um, let's go to Shadow Binding. Choose one friendly fighter with one or more wound counters. Heal one the chosen fighter. Heal two the chosen fighter instead if the chosen fighter is in a cover hex. Now, I do want to create a clarification because when we did the Exile Dead review, we didn't look at the Harrow Deep healing interactions or updates. Mm-hmm. So this is just for food of thought. It doesn't apply to this card but it's just important. Essentially, it says if a card tells you to heal X where X is the number, that means you remove the number of wound counters from the fighter or fighters described by the card. If they do not have enough wound counters, simply remove all their wound counters. A fighter is only said to have been healed if at least one wound counter was removed from their fighter card. So back in the day, it would say heal two. And if you couldn't heal exactly two, um, at least at two, you couldn't use the card. But in this example... This what this says is that moving forward, if you can still play a heal two on a fighter that has one wound, mm-hmm. you just remove all wound counters and they still consider it to have been healed. It might not apply to this specific card, but I thought it was a good time to introduce that update. I mean, it might if you've taken one wound on your leader and the opponent has a three damage attack and then you want to play this and you're mm-hmm. in a cover hex and you you're heal two. You don't want it to be like nixed up by some weird rules interaction. So it works on that. That said, I don't know. (sighs) Heal cards are always so iffy to me because like, especially with a squishy warband like this, where your little guys are more than likely going to get one shot by big fit. Like if you're going into Hrothgorn, if you're going into Molog, if you're even going into like a Stormcast matchup or a Crimson Court matchup where they've brought Savage Strength and Great Strength, like you're your three wound dudes are getting one shot. You're not going to heal them. Is your leader the type of leader that can just constantly get healed again and again and again? Like you bring this and you bring healing potion and you bring spirit comb? Like maybe, but I think I think your gambit cards are better used for utility rather than just a heal. So I don't yeah. know. I, I it, might pass on this. Yeah, I think I'd pass on it too. Um, I would say that like, if you're going to try to improve survivability, I would go the upgrade route in this warband mm-hmm. instead of the gambit route. So yep. I think overall, I agree with everything else you've said. So going to the next card, which is smoke and mirrors, choose two friendly fighters, one or more of which is in a cover hex, place each fighter in the hex that was occupied by the other fighter. When you chose them, this is wild. I mean, this is, they, they showed this off on the preview and people talked about how wild it is. This card's crazy. And when we talked about it in the discord, people were already like, this is a strong card. And we didn't know that there were so many gambits that gave, um, cover tokens or shadow tokens. Um, you know, you can just, you can just put a shadow token on a fighter, yeet them across the board to attack flip them with somebody who hasn't made a charge action attack with that fighter or even charge with that fighter for like there the amount of reach these guys have between self teleports a card now that teleports um just baseline being move four like the amount of board coverage these guys have they're going to reach every target they want to reach and that is very 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 interesting yeah I, I completely agree with what you've said um and to add on to that i think 
this warband is going to be a warband that's going to reward you for knowing when to drop those counters that count as cover hexes, but then also pre-planning where you want your counters to be Um, because you get those player placed gloom tokens as well and those objectives that flip. So I think there's just so much turn zero thought that you can have with this warband. And then you can really, this is like that skill level, right? That we're going to talk about because I think this warband and claw pack and exile dead, honestly, are very high skill level warbands. Um, this, the ceiling might be not as high when you compare all three, but it's still pretty decent with this warband. And I think pre-planning and being aware of when to drop the tokens and teleporting is going to be awesome because eyes of the nine have a card called bound by fate, which is a very weaker, very much weaker version of this card. It's a three hex limitation, but this is like, Oh, my fighter's about to die. Swap them out with another fighter on the complete other side of the board. And you've got a fresh fighter, probably without a charge token, mm-hmm. who's ready to like make some charges and do some crazy stuff. So, or even just like, very nice. or even just like if you know, uh, even if just like you know, Velissa or Silark gets charged and doesn't die, and they're like, "Oh, I've charged your little guy," and then you just like, "Psych, I'm going to bring my leader over here," and she just like shows up yeah. and murders the person who just charged. Malleable AF. Yes, seriously. So yeah, great card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we're both fans. Um, the next one is Suffocating Shadows. Minus one defense to enemy fighters in the next activation step to a minimum of one. Minus two defense instead to a minimum of one to enemy fighters and cover hexes in the next activation step. I'm having a hard time working on this because like minus one defense seems really, really good. But there's like mm-hmm. some gut part of me that's like, I feel like we've seen cards like this before that is like reduce enemy defense by X or, you know, by one. Um, and I feel like we've seen it and it wasn't played and there was like a reason for it. Maybe that's because the meta at the time was just heavily about one shield warbands. You know, it might have mm-hmm. been early in uh, Night Vault or something where people were still playing Curse Breakers where two of your fighters are one shield or like you know, you're playing profiteers where most of them are just one shield. Um, I think the meta right now is in a place where there's a lot of two dodge warbands and there's a lot of two shield warbands even. Um, and there's a lot of fighters on cover hexes with guard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just dropping down minus two is like, it's like kind of a non thing. Like how many fighters are on three dodge? Not that many. There's a couple, but not that many. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- obviously, um, formidable defense is still a thing, but I don't know how many people are really, really running it. So, um, yeah, it's it's good. I for, for some reason, I don't think it's as good as some of the other stuff we've seen, but it is good. So, yeah, I look at this card like an accuracy card. Mm-hmm. It's essentially just making your likelihood of hitting the enemy fighter higher. Um, because like, let's take a look at like Lady Mournflight, for example, they all start to dodge. They're probably going to be camping cover flip to the objective at the end of the game. What makes it really interesting is instead of giving them two, four up saves, you give them one, four up save. If you have malleable, you're giving them one, six up save. Mm -hmm. And that is incredible. I think in certain niche scenarios, yes, they're going to be matchups where you play against Morgoks and it doesn't matter. And that's what is the stinker with this card, right? That's the one with well, the one drawback. But in a meta 
in which you can identify the strong warbands or maybe the warbands that are your weakness, you might be willing to take a card that is, is dead some of the time in order to help you win games. Because, you know, imagine going for a Drepper kill in the beginning or early stages of the game because he's only on one dodge. Like, and if you can line that up, it's going to be pretty satisfying. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, it, it is a meta call and it's a personal call. I think this is, um, there's a term in uh, card games, a hate card, uh, where it's a card that you bring because you hate a mechanic or you hate a specific target or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not useful elsewhere, but it's good because you hate this one thing. Suffocating Shadows is a hate card. Do you hate two dodge warbands? Here you go. Take this. Um, yeah. Or do you hate two dodge warbands that can get up to three like Clawback? Yeah, right? that's true as well. Like imagine if he's at three dodge and you just drop him to one. You've invalidated their upgrade that they've spent resources in trying to gain glory and then spend it. Mm-hmm. And you probably killed a fighter that was important to them if you're able to get that attack through, which the chance is much higher. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, consider putting it in for sure. Yeah, I think when it works, it works really well. And when it doesn't, you're just like, mm, do I want to cut it type stuff, you know? Second, last but not least, we have Tenebral Manipulation. Give one fighter one shadow counter. Fighters with one or more shadow counters treat the hex therein as a cover hex. In addition to other hex types, discard all shadow counters at the end of the phase. Um, it's good. The, so here's an interesting thing. This is the third one, right? Because there's the spell, there's all fighters without mover charge tokens, and then there's now this that give out the... Uh, um, uh, shadow counters. Are you going to run all three in a deck? No. No. Which one do you take? I mean, you take the one that's give it to everybody, right? Like that's just so powerful. So do you take this or do you take the spell one? I think I don't take the spell one because if Sarlark dies early. Yeah, I think I think you take this and the other one. I think this is better than the spell one, but maybe you only take one. I, the mechanic is strong enough that you probably want two in your deck, so you probably end up taking this anyway, uh, especially because this is give one fighter, so it doesn't have to be friendly. Again, if you have something about enemies being in cover hexes during the activation phase, you can use this on an enemy because it's cool. Uh, I mean, we just saw Suffocating Shadows is minus two defense if the enemy is in a cover hex. If your opponent's running around the middle of the board, not in a cover hex with three dodge, you can just bonk with tenable manipulation. Hi, now you're only one dodge, and then you just go stab them. Um, so yeah, it, it's a solid card. I, I mean, cover's good. <laughs> There's not much to say about that. Yeah, I think the cover stuff is really good. I think I like this card a lot because it helps you score nowhere to hide, which is probably one of the surges we've identified as one that you want to take. Mm-hmm. That being said, because the cover hexes are great, what you what you have to think about, right, is you're getting the cover, the double support on defense, but you're also getting the reroll for three of your fighters at the beginning of the game. Yes. Which is pretty nice, I think. Um, yeah, especially because I think once people learn how this warband is played, they're going to make a serious effort to get you out of cover hexes and keep you out of cover hexes. They'll stand on them, they'll flip them, they'll push you out of them, they will um, uh, hypnotic buzz you out of them, or faction distraction you out of them, or center of attention you out of them. And mm-hmm. if you're no longer in the hex, you can just use a shadow counter instead. And I think that's a huge deal. I completely agree. Let's talk about the final card. Vanish into the gloom. 
Choose one friendly fighter with no charge tokens. Place the chosen fighter in an empty cover hex and give that fighter one charge token. If the chosen fighter was in a cover hex when you chose them, give the chosen fighter one move token instead. It's a second teleport. Not only do we have teleports on fighter cards, this is a second gambit card that is a teleport. And that's really good. Again, um, more cover synergy. Uh, you know, if you're not in a cover at the start of this, you can combo it with tenebral manipulations. You can combo it with um, uh, impenetrable, darkness. impenetrable darkness. Thank you. Um, and just put your guy into a location with just a move token. I mean, remember how strong um, sudden appearance was to the point where it had mm-hmm. to be restricted. And yeah. this is not sudden appearance because I think sudden appearance is slightly better because it didn't have a move token and there's more starting hexes than there are cover hexes in general. But like teleporting anywhere with a range two fighter is it's good. <laughs> like it's just yeah, good. Or range three. Or range yeah. three if you want to bring a Psylark around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this card helps you score horrors in the dark. This helps you score any surges that want you to be in cover hexes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is insane maneuverability, um, redeployment. Um, and if you really want to play a deck that's aggressive and wants to be all your fighters in enemy territory, and if you're trying to score the faction card that they have in their deck, which is all a shadow, like cards like these help you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you have a fighter that's an unfavorable board setup, as you said, give them a, a token via one of the aforementioned cards or spells that we've discussed, teleport them into the enemy territory, and you can get an attack action, if not multiple attack actions, while still being in a fairly defensive spot. I like it. It's a good card. Yep, definitely agree. So that brings us to the end. Of the Gambits. Of the Gambits, yes. Correct, correct. So, Zach, you know what's coming. Yeah, I, well, okay, so first of all, I'm going to pick my favorite, and I think it's going to be Shadestalker Darts. I, I think Rippling Darkness is the best Gambit in here because it's ping damage and it's good ping damage, but Shadestalker mm-hmm. Darts is just like, the more we talked about it, the more I was like, yeah, this is a cool card. Like, it's just pretty sick. So, um, I'm excited to try this card out. Yeah, you keep picking my cards, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that gives you Rippling Darkness, and we know how much you love ping cards. I love pink cards. Yeah, I profiteer far strider player first two seasons of the game, which is so you pick those two. They're really good. Um, I'm going to be honest. I really like Tenebral Manipulation. I do too. Um, while I like the Impenetrable Darkness, I just like the fact that this is just anywhere on the board. Give someone a shadow counter. It's great. Um, I think overall, like. I've marked down six or seven gambits that I think are out of 10 that I think are good. There's a lot mm-hmm. of good cards, but one thing that I think is missing is, or shall I say this? This deck is very good at doing one thing, which is get in cover and take advantage of cover. It is missing entirely, you will note, push cards. It is missing entirely accuracy cards i mean you can count the um suffocating Suffocating shadow as kind of like a a um it's kind of an accuracy card but like there's no rerolls there's no plus dice there's no plus damage this is just utility movement and you know uh, like combination with cover stuff so anything you want outside of that specific toolbox 
you're going to need to go into the universal box, um, which is cool. I think that's fine that like they have the one thing that they're really good at. But like, I think you'll notice when you're playing rivals and rivals plus specifically that you're like, man, I really wish I had a sidestep in this deck. <laughs> you know, I think that's a really good point. I think it's, it's a really good point. I think, I think the purpose of rivals and we've talked about it at length and we're going to do a whole episode on, you know, whether rivals is the future or not with Jason um, is rivals is more. I almost think rivals is more of like a narrative play, mm-hmm. right? Like flavorful. let's just have, exactly. Let's just like figure out why the war band functions the way it does. It's super thematic, etc. rivals plus still leans into that. Back to your point though, the essentials, is for now not going anywhere. Right. And we have all these good sidesteps and shadow, um, shadow lore and cover of darkness. Like there's a lot of benefit there, a lot of synergies. Um, and you have like cards like wedded blade, right. Which is like an auto include with a warband like this because of four assassins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we haven't even talked about the nether maze universals and the grand alliance cards coming with that. I mean, there's going to be a lot of spots, I think, to shore up your weaknesses, but I think you're very aptly correct in that it's going to feel weird in Rivals and Rivals Plus. Mm-hmm. And and for players who might be newer to the game, you know, even when they buy Essentials, you're just getting sidestep and confusion. Yeah, I think this might be a, one of the most confusing warbands in a starter set for a new player. Like, if you're a brand new player and somebody's like, come play Underworlds and you buy Nether Maze and then you're like, man, I really like these Shadow Elves. And you put them on the board, you're going to be like, wow, everybody else has like push cards and everybody else has like you know, things that make their fighters better. Like, in mine like, it seems really good, but all these things are very confusing and I have to like use them in the right time and like it might be really, really confusing if you're a brand new player. Yeah, I think if and when we do have the Warhammer Underworlds Wednesdays, um, I'm just going to give my opponent Clawback. <laughs> that and seems I'm very reasonable. Gonna, yeah, and I'm just going to, because they're like a little bit more obvious. And then my goal is to like talk out why I'm doing the things I'm doing and show them how the synergies work so that if and when they want to play this Warband, they know how because I've shown them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think that's very reasonable. Um, I think, yeah. Out, we haven't talked about the upgrades yet, but I think out of the two, the claw pack is the one that's going to be like, it's a little bit more well-rounded. It's going to be a little bit easier to understand. Um, but these guys just have, they do things that no other warband does. And I think that's going to appeal to a lot of, you know, experienced good players. Agreed. Uh, so let's head into the upgrades. Um yeah, very excited for these. Some really good ones in here, starting with this one. So yeah. we've got Abyssal Guidance. You can reroll one attack dice and attack actions made by this fighter if this fighter is in a cover hex. So we're talking about accuracy, right? There you go. So this is your accuracy card. And because you have so many ways to manipulate cover and give your fighters free cover through the tokens, this is, an, this is great. And the very good card. And the fighters you want to give this to are range too, so you can just be in cover as well. Exactly. Like this card has been restricted in the universal pool. Yes, there are some limitations here, but for this warband in particular, it's not necessarily a restriction, more of inevitability. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, nothing else to say. Um, Next one is very similar. This is aided by darkness. 
plus one damage to this fighter's range one and range two attack actions if the fighter and or target is in a cover hex. Put it in your deck and never take it out. Yes. Until this gets banned. Like... It's probably going to get restricted, I think, at one point. If they, it's very good. If they get a restricted card, it's going to be this one. Yeah, it's 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 incredible, and you can get your leader up to three damage very quickly. Drusilla, Drusilla, excuse me, to four, um, Vasilla to two. Starting to do the combo stuff. I mean, again, not much of a restriction, more of an inevitability. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, we've seen every. Every warband that is good and has a great strength, usually that great strength is restricted. Hello, Dreppers, Wraith Creepers. Yeah, to be fair, like Creepers were kind of broken. Creepers were busted. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think these guys are broken. Like you can, if you, if you fast aggro, like Soul Raid, I think can clean these guys up pretty well. Yeah, no, that's for sure. I mean, they still have the squishiness. They still have like, um, they still have like some of the downsides were like early uninspired, you know, they're not as great, but like, yeah, I think they, I think they will be good in the hands of a good player. Yeah. And, and again, like we just, we just started the upgrades with two cards and they're already insane. These are both like a plus cards. Yeah. The, the, like you said, these are both cards that have been restricted in the past and probably will continue to be restricted in the future and they're faction cards. So yeah, it's, it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, our next one, uh, Amulet of the Gathering Darkness. This is restricted to Silark. Uh, plus one wizard level to a maximum of two. Okay. Spell action. If cast, uh, ca- sorry, cast on a um, focus. So one swirly. If cast, give, uh, choose one friendly fighter within three hexes of this fighter. Give that fighter one shadow counter. Shadow counters do what it has done. Up until this point, discard all shadow counters at the end of the phase. So to me, like, hmm. So I think there's enough tools in the deck to where you don't need this card to reliably get shadow counters art out onto the field and onto your fighters or enemy fighters. Mm-hmm. I think when this card comes into play is if there are some certain spells that you really want, or if you really like Silark and you know how to play him and position him correctly. I don't know if this is something that you're instantly going to gravitate to. I think there's going to be, it's, it's honestly, this is like a preference. Like Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not something that like, Oh my God, I need, but if you played it, I'm be like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Like, I wonder what you're doing with that. Yeah. I mean, when you get to that point, you've got seven upgrades in your deck and the rest are personal preference. And you're like, I want plus one wizard level. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it can definitely make cards like Alluring Summoning or Abyssal Summoning Mm -hmm. like really good. But then at that point, you don't need Abyssal Summoning because you can do kind of what Abyssal... Sorry, you still... Abyssal Summoning does something different. Abyssal Summoning isn't the... No, it is. It's giving a shadow counter. It is. Yeah, so you don't even need Abyssal Summoning because you can just do it with your spell action. Well, I guess that becomes the question is... Even if you use the, like, the big thing on this for me is plus one wizard level, which is usually good to get a a wizard to level two. Are you going to spend an action giving a, um, a shadow counter? In some scenarios, I might. If it scores me whores in the dark, why not? It's worth the glory, right? An action is worth scoring a card. I see what you're saying. Yeah, maybe. I get you. Yeah. I really do. Maybe. I just don't see why I want like level two wizard. 
right now. Yeah. And I'm saying that as someone who loves wizards. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it really depends on what cards come out and maybe there's more spells. Maybe there's spells that have synergy with cover or with assassins or something like that. Then this is a, in a very interesting card, but I think right now it's, there's better ways to get these, uh, uh, shadow tokens out. Agreed. Uh, next we've got dusk lure bracers, uh, reaction. Use this after this fighter is dealt damage while in a cover hex after the deal damage step, choose an enemy fighter within two hexes, deal one damage to the chosen fighter. Yeah. So this is actually a very interesting card. Um, it's extremely powerful in certain scenarios. Um, you probably stick this on your leader and you Voltron the crap out of her. You give her a bunch of wounds. It doesn't matter if you make her a large fighter because the idea is you either going to kill with her through malleable, you know, three smash grievous attacks or when people try to kill her and they fail because you've protected her so much. They are like, it's kind of like Galligan or shadow keeper in a way where like you just get a ping damage, but it doesn't have to be the fighter that attacked you. It could be a different fighter. So you could probably set up some scenarios in which like it's not favorable for the opponent to attack you. And in some cases, um, and there are a lot of times in this game where like, you'll just put a defensive upgrade on a card or on a fighter and your opponent just won't attack him. Mm-hmm. It's a deterrent. It's like, they just yeah. yeah. They just, they're like, Oh, Oh, I can, I can possibly take one damage. Oh yeah. I'm not going to do that. And it's like, if you think, if you really give them the moment to think about it, it's probably still worth attacking her and trying to kill her, but it's just small things like that, that can just make her not a target Mm. and she can keep doing what she wants to do. That being said, I don't know if I'm going to take it. I, I, I agree with everything you just said. I think that's a great breakdown of this card. Um, Next, we've got Mask of Shadowed Mirrors, which might have the most horrifying artwork I've ever seen on a card. Um, this is restricted to Slithale, uh, your leader. It is minus one damage from attack actions to the target of this fighter to a minimum of one if the attacker is adjacent to this fighter. Yeah, a couple things. One, I just immediately started thinking of Jonathan when you said the fighter's name because he had a penchant for always mispronouncing them differently or at least pronouncing them differently than I did. I don't know if it's a mispronunciation. You probably are right. I, I don't know. I'm mis- guessing at it. Yeah. But if he would do the same thing. And so it's just really nice to <laughs> get that feeling first and foremost, uh, shout out to Jonathan, miss you bud. Um, in terms of the artwork, I'm really hoping that's not her face and it's just an, a projection to scare people. Um, but if, if that is her face, that makes sense. They did mention she's really old in the artwork in the, in the lore. Um, these cards are awesome though. Minus one damage from attack actions to target this fighter to a minimum of one is awesome. Yeah. The fighter has to be adjacent, but like a lot of the war bands that I think are really popular right now, like soul raid, um, and the Mortex, Rippas, yeah. Crimson court, you name it crushes. Most of them are range one fighters. So Mm. this is pretty good. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. These types of, Damage reduction cards are always good. I think they're usually the auto-include um, in any faction that have them. So, uh, Next, we've got Rapid Fire. Uh, this is only for Psylark. 
This is reaction after this fighter's activation in which they made a repeater handbow attack action. They make another repeater handbow attack action. I love this card. And it's probably because I love rapid reload from Profiteers and I love Iron Hail. And Iron Hail has demolished enemy warbands for me. Um, I'm not saying that Psylark is going to do that, but, you know, Glory Seeker, Rapid Fire, he could pump out four damage pretty decently. That being said, at the very least, this is deal damage, hit again, deal damage. I've inspired Psylark. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably not going to make your 10, just given the fact that Psylark isn't probably a fighter that you're going to want to invest a lot of resources into. And this is a single fighter restricted card and he could probably die immediately. But similarly to the way I played Iron Hail, I protected Iron Hail until I could get these cards out so that he can do some crazy things with it. Um, so that's the risk reward you take with cards like these, but I'm a big fan. I like it. Um, I, I somewhat disagree with that last point that, you know, it's not worth taking Silark specific things. The more we've read through this and talked about it, the more I kind of get the feeling that this is a faction where you can just like, I I keep talking about um, Drusilla being the second, because she's the one that I focus on when I think about these things. Because I'm like, oh, range two, three damage. That's the one I care about. But you can, during your deck building process, pick one fighter and focus on them. Um, Or at least, you know, have like a package of cards in your deck that focuses on them and be like, you know, my deck has a bunch of Silark specific stuff like rapid fire that I'm like, you know, as long as he survives, I've got a bunch of stuff in here that makes him really, really good. Um, and this is one of them. So uh, you're right. This probably doesn't make 10 just because it's like, it's limited and you have to stack on him, et cetera, et cetera. But like, you know, it. I, I think it could. I think it could be a 10th card or an 11th card if you're running some amount of draw. Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to play this card in like leagues and like fun of games and like game nights and stuff. I think if I'm trying to go to like a Grand Clash, that's when I question on whether this deck or this card makes my deck. Mm. Um, just because like, again, for so many reasons that we've discussed already. Yeah. Again, like I do like it. It's just fun. It's a fun card, which can end up being very powerful in some situations. So I agree. Yep. Um, I like Silark. I like Silark too. He's cool. Uh, next, we've got Ruthless Aim. This was shown off in the Warcom article. This is plus two dice to this fighter's attack actions if the target is vulnerable. Reaction. Use this after this fighter's attack action. Takes an enemy fighter out of action. Give this fighter one shadow counter, shadow counters again. Don't need to retread that ground. Yeah. So again, I think vulnerable cards are interesting, probably not worth it, but this one kind of piques my interest just slightly. I'm not saying I'm going to take it, but I'm just going to say, put this on a rapid reload. You hit the first shot with Psylark, the second shot, it's four smash could be enough to finish the fighter off or get that second attack through to inspire. You can also stick this on um, Vasilla. She hits with her first attack. Hypothetically, the fighter is vulnerable now. The enemy fighter she's attacking, her combo attack, her flurry attack now goes to three smash. It's pretty cool. Yeah, four smash because um, it's plus two dice. And she's... Ah, four smash. Yeah. Is she two smash? She's two smash on the flurry. flurry, yeah. 
Yeah, there you go. So in that example, right, I can see this card being useful. Mm-hmm. Again, I think it's a meta-dependent card. Yeah, I mean, rel- to me, this basically just reads reliably kill fighters who are almost dead. Because there's there's few things as frustrating as being like, he's only got one wound. I'm going to go get him. And then you just like miss three attacks in a row, right? Like, that's just bad. And this helps with that. But like, are those situations common enough where you're going to put this into your deck specifically to deal with it? Like, nah, I don't think so. This is, it's okay. Exactly. And, and even if that situation does pop up, you have ping damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just use that. Just use that instead. I agree. Uh, so moving on to Shadewalker, this is, uh, anybody, this fighter has the flying trait plus one move. I love this card just cause Molog is getting wrecked. He's getting shanked. Yeah. That being said, flying doesn't, I don't really care for flying too much. I mean, in some niche situations it can help. I mean, I like that, you know, Slythel has it innately. I don't think the other warbands, the, the fighters need it though, because they start teleporting once they inspire. Um, and they have gambits that can help with teleportation and movement and repositioning. That being said, plus one move is pretty nice. Um, I don't think, yeah, when they inspire, they still stay at four move. So it's not going to score you like a winged death or anything. Um, but, you know, it's it's neat. I, I mean, it's, it's just a better great speed. But people aren't really bringing great speed anyway. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's fine. Um, Umbro Glaive is our next one. This is Drusilla specific. Uh, it is an attack action upgrade. This is range 3, 3 smash, 1 damage, Grievous. After making this attack action, break this card. Yeah. So, this is like Jagathar or Scathe, right? Um, but you don't have to necessarily... You can't guarantee the plus 1 damage with the charge. Mm-hmm. So essentially you have to think about it. Is it worth taking a card in your deck worth one glory to where you can make one attack action granted at range three, three smash Grievous is pretty solid, but potentially only dealing one damage. I don't think it is. Um, It's cool, but I think Drusilla being at range two is perfectly enough. You don't need this card. Yeah. I, I look at this and I think, why would I take this over phantom darts? That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and then our last one, and again, the art on this card is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, well, we'll talk about it. Uh, Voidling. This is a Denizen card, which currently there's nothing to do with Denizen as a keyword. It's just a keyword that kind of mm-hmm. exists. Uh, rolls of, of single support are successes in this fighter's attack rolls for attack actions that target a fighter adjacent to or in a cover hex and roles of single support are successes and this fighter's defense roles. If this fighter is in or adjacent to a cover hex. It's incredible. Yes. It's incredible. It's crazy. It's insane. It's defense and offense. I mean, this is, um, this is bonded, but to do with cover hexes. So it's like a little yeah. bit worse than bonded, but bonded is so good that a little bit worse bonded is still really good. Yeah. And, and again, like the cover hex stuff is, is an inevitability with this warband, right? It's, it's, it's just maybe it's not even, it's not even a speed bump. It's just going to happen because it's just the way this warband is designed to function. Um, yeah. And this is one of those situations where I think tenebral manipulation you might use on an enemy 
because maybe your enemy is like consciously staying away from cover hexes because they're like, oh man, you got so many things that happen when I'm in a cover hex. I don't want to deal with that. And then you hit mm-hmm. him with that and then you charge up with Voidling and you're like, psych, I got three dice and I get support against you now. Like, yeah. I, it's good. It's a good card. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you can put this on your leader even. She goes to dodge and cover counting every single success except block. And if you put her on guard... Every uh, every roll is a success. Yeah, your opponent has to outroll you, and that is insane. Yeah, you put Silent Helm on, and she's probably not going down. I think if you get to that level of Voltron, your opponent should just like walk away from the table. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's probably my only concern with this card. Is this card will inevitably create inevitably create a negative play experience for somebody? Um, yeah, I mean, which is unfortunate. You could say the same thing about bonded. I mean, like I said, this is just a slight. I mean, I hate bonded. <laughs> yes, yeah, same. Um, it, it's like a slightly worse bonded, but I would argue that um, I, w- I would argue that uh, Slithael is better than Ripa, just because she's got that range and she starts on the two dodge uh, and she has the teleport and it's in uh, all that other stuff. Like, so like a slightly worse upgrade on a slightly better fighter. It's just going to be good, right? Like most of the time. Yeah, I mean, the upgrades are insane. Like, yeah, I'm looking at three auto includes already with abyssal guidance, aided by darkness, and voidling. Yeah, I I would also put um, mask of shadow mask mirrors. of shadowed mirrors as the other one. Yeah. Like those four, you have to have a good reason not to put those four in your deck. Yeah, and and that's where I think the power of this faction lies is a, the mechanics awesome, whatever, mm-hmm. but it's the cards. You have four auto include upgrades. You have, you know, potentially four auto include objectives and you have like four to seven like gambits that you can pick from that are super reliable. Like what more do you want from a faction? Yeah. The fighters are a little weak on the defensive side, but it's, it's, it's so many options that this is a very healthy warband that's going to do really well in a lot of metas and it's going to have longevity even past Harrow Deep and Nether Maze. Yeah, I definitely think this is this is a um I think this is going to be a faction that you're going to have a champion for like somebody is going to pick this up early on. Maybe it'll be you Amon. Somebody's going to it might I mean it's going to be me or Mandarga. Yeah. One of you elf lovers is going to pick this up That's right. and run with it. And it's just going to like completely dominate one event. And everyone's going to go, oh, shit, we have to deal with this now. You know, like it's um, I, I, there's going to be a steep learning curve, I think, with this one. Yeah. Um, 100%. But I think once you get past that learning curve and you figure it out and you and you tone your deck up a little bit like. I mean, now we're at the end. We could talk about our favorite objectives or our favorite upgrades, which is Voidling, 110% for me. I mean, I just have all four. Yeah. They're all my favorite. Yeah, they're all the favorite. Can I pick all? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to, just talking about this Warband totality, like you've got a pretty good Inspire condition. It's not amazing, but it's pretty good. You have a reasonable amount of control over it. Like you just said, the amount of auto-include cards or like heavily consider cards is very high the the down the downsides are there i think the reason i'm like not terrified of this like sometimes when you see a new warband you're like oh my god this is just going to make the game a nightmare but like there's also ways to play around this warband and i think it's mm-hmm. going to be an 
it's going to be an exciting experience to play against as well, because the way you play against the Shadeborn is not going to be the way you play against other Warbands. And this is going to be one you have to think about. You have to know the matchup with your faction. You have to think about it in the game. And you have to think about the person you're playing against as well, because I think there's a couple different ways you can play as this Warband. Like, how how hard is your aggro? How blitzy are you going to be? How Which fighter are you focusing on? You know, how much are you committing? You know, like two people playing this warband are going to play it differently and two people playing against this warband are going to play against it differently. And that to me is just like, it's peak underworlds. I love this warband. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like this could be the hottest of hot takes, but I'm willing to say it. I think in terms of like a warband that you ideally want in Warhammer Underworlds, you want something that is flexible. You want something that is, not overtly too strong, but not overtly too weak either. And you want a lot of options, tips, tricks, techniques, and flexibility. And I think this warband offers that. I mean, yeah, the claw pack kind of does too, but like, I think this warband is so fascinating mm-hmm. in so many ways that like, I could play f- like a hundred games with this warband and still learn something or improve upon something in my hundredth and one game. And that's why I'm excited about this warband. Agreed. I, I want to say that, like, for you listeners, I don't, depending on what order you listen to these episodes in, this is the third of the three new factions that we're um, reviewing. We've done Exile, Dead, mm-hmm. and Law Pack, and now we've done this one. Um, you know, I give GW a lot of grief, like their design team and their business team, and you know, mixed emotions dealing with them as a company. But I, I just want to like give huge props to this release because this, these three factions have really shown that they've gotten much better at designing war bands. All three of these factions feel thematic. They, the design follows the theme while being interesting there are a lot of new and interesting rules while not being bloated because a lot of time, especially dire chasm, I think there was like kind of a sentiment that some of the mechanics that were added, like they were bloat without being interesting. Like people said that about primacy. People said that about hunger, you know, some of the stuff that had to do with um, soul raid and like all their reaction windows and how the fish work. Like some people, I like it. I love the fish. Like I, I'm a, I'm a big soul raid fan, but some people didn't like it. Like, but the mechanics that are introduced, especially here in um, the Shadeborn with the teleports, with the shadow token, with, you know, their, how they interact with cover, it like fits into the game so well, just at a base level, that it just, it just feels like such a good design. And I, I want to give props to whoever worked on this team, because I think this is like, from a design standpoint, even if I'd never play these guys, like... I can appreciate this design so much. I think it's great. Yeah. And I will say that based on Twitter, um, John Bracken mentioned that he was the lead on another mace. Mm-hmm. Um, and up until this point, it has been Dave Sanders and not taking anything away from Dave Sanders. I mean, he's incredible. He created this game. Yeah. He created five seasons almost by himself, right? Like it's incredible. Um, but I think what this game, I think probably needed at this, at this juncture was some fresh, fresh blood. Um, and you know, with the guidance of Dave, I'm assuming, you know, they worked together and created this awesome season. And, um, I think for that reason, I think we've seen 
some of the benefits of the comments you've just made in that there's a lot of flavor, there's difference, design, um, and uniqueness that I think is eluded some of the more previous seasons in the past because in attempting to do so, we've seen warbands that are really strong and also really weak. But in this example, I think we can say Exile Dead, Claw Pack, and the Shadeborn are all good, mm-hmm. but not too good, which I think, at, at least at this point, which <laughs> yeah. is important. Well, I, th- I think they're probably never be too good. Um, one of the, I, I'm kind of happy that they have started to go the direction they have because as much as I like my elite tanky warbands, I like Stormcast warbands. I played Curse Breakers a lot. I played um, mm-hmm. Steelhearts a lot when they were first out. Um, I've been trying to get into Truth Seekers a little bit recently. But I think that squishier warbands are healthier in the meta overall because they will always have that downside. You can make them as powerful as you want. You can make them have all the tricks in the world. But all these warbands have the, you know, the the three that we've looked at, the two in Nether Maze, they have this downside that, yeah, you can have all these amazing tricks, but you got a three wound guy and he can get one shot like that and mm-hmm. he can be gone. You know, you have two wound fighters in claw pack and they could just die to a stiff breeze. And that will always be a balancing factor. The warbands that we've seen historically be kind of problematic, Molog, Hrothgorn, Crushes, Grimwatch, Grimwatch Rippas. Rippas, yeah, uh, Wraith Creepers to an extent because they have Paul of Fear and a faction great fortitude and Drepper is just crazy. You know, it's because you have things that are good and also kind of unkillable. Um, mm-hmm. or get to an unkillable status really quickly. And yeah, okay, your leader here is really tough and four wounds to dodge and she's probably going to take the minus damage upgrade and, you know, she's probably going to put Voidling on her. But like, the rest of this warband is eminently killable and you kill them and you shut down objectives and you kill them and you shut down utility and you kill them and you get glory and score your stuff. And you don't have that crushes problem where you're like, I brought aggro and I came into crushes and I just can't kill anything. Boop, boop, boop. Like, like I think these warbands will never feel oppressive because the option to just hat up and go murder somebody is always there. Correct. Yeah. I think very well said, very well defined. Um, yeah. I may have rambled a bit there, but it is also, no, no, no. I think you did a wonderful job of explaining one of some of the reasons as to why we both think that these warbands are very healthy for them to the meta, to the game. Mm. Um, as, but while still retaining that uniqueness and strength in their own way while having some of those strong weaknesses that we've discussed. And so I think it's a great segue to jump into some questions before we end the episode off. Mm-hmm. So um, we've just got a handful here. First is I'm interested in the new season. The war bands seem exciting since you have already recorded Skaven. I ask if you think elves are better. What do you think? Zach? No, I like Skaven much more, but that is personal preference. I like the rats. Uh, I like the elves. I, you, from a very, from a more serious standpoint, I think the Skaven have more flexibility, which appeals to me. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, they have more pushes. They have more defensive utility in their gambit cards. Um, I think the power cards for these elves are much better. The four, re- like ignoring the six other ones, of the four we we enjoy are stronger than I think anything that the Skaven have in general. Um, well, the damage mitigation the Claw Pack has is quite quite ridiculous yeah well i'm saying from just upgrades just upgrades i think oh just upgrades because from claw pack the only upgrade that's like 
really noteworthy damage mitigation is the plus one defense. Um, mm. And here you just got you just got insane stuff. So I don't know if they're better or worse. I think the claw pack feel a little bit more flexible uh, personally, but I think they're both just I think they're both really really good. Yeah. Um, so biased answer obviously <laughs> is going to be elves. Um, there's a meme from uh, the movie Elf <laughs> where Will Ferrell says, "You sit on a throne of lies." Yeah. And that is what you're doing right now by claiming that the cloud pack are better. So uh, take that as you will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If we're going seriously into the cloud pack, I do think both warbands have their strengths and weaknesses. I think from a upgrade perspective, you have, um, I think the the dub will go to the Shadeborn. I think from a Gambit perspective, it depends on what you're looking for. I feel like there's more overall synergy and cohesion with the Shadeborn. Mm -hmm. But with the cloud pack, you've got, you know, Way of the Iron Paw, Sweep the Leg, um, Skittering Blur. I mean, just and Redirected Attack. Yeah. Excluding Sweep the Leg, just those three alone, insane. Yeah. I, and then, I think I think the way I would describe it is that Shadeborn have a very smooth Gambit package where it all works together, but the power spikes you get from Claw Packs uh, Gambits is just nuts. Yeah. So I think serious answer. I think that was well said. Yeah. So serious answer. I think we're both saying it depends, but because we are human and we have biases, I think yes. we're going to each pick one side of the board and we will see who the true winner of the Note of the Maze is by the end of the season. We'll see who is greatest. Yes. 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 Or murdered. Well, I guess they both trying to murder. They're both assassins. Yeah, true. Either way, murder wins. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next question is best matchups and weak matchups for the Shadeborn. I think we've kind of covered that in th- in like a circumspect theory perspective. Maybe, Zach, do you want to mention two warbands you think they'd be good against and two warbands they'd be bad against? Um, I think they're good against any swarmy warband. I think they're going to have an excellent matchup into Exile Dead um, mm-hmm. For a variety of reasons, I actually think that's a terrifying matchup now that I think about it. Because I've been working on Exile Dead deck, and now I'm like, oh man, I would just hate to run into Shadeborn. Um, <laughs> I think they've got a rough matchup into, as weird as this sounds, I think they have a rough matchup into like Stormcast decks. Because Stormcast decks, a lot of Stormcast factions have healing, a faction healing potion, so you can heal mm-hmm. stuff. There are four wounds which is rough for these guys they get to two shields which yeah okay you have the one card that reduces it but like for one turn on one fighter you know like anything that's like four wounds and beefy and double shields and oh hey that's most stormcast warbands if not all of them so yeah weirdly enough like those aren't meta picks right now but like I think if these guys ran into Iron Souls Contenders, they would just cry for the entire best of three. That's interesting. Um, I think they have the damage and to, to kind of cleave through that armor, but uh, now you're making me second guess myself. I, I, I think it matters on who gets um, the tempo. Mm-hmm. Because if, if the storm, if, like say you're playing condemners, if you're playing condemners and you get an early great strength and you get an early kill on the leader, the whole thing falls apart. I don't think Drusilla, like Drusilla, yeah, you can hype her up and get to four damage really quickly, but like she's one fighter. 
and everybody can kill everybody else from the Stormcast side of it. Like, it would be weird. Maybe that's just like my gut reaction and maybe I'm not thinking it through all the way, but like, because yeah, obviously the mobility still goes to the Shadeborn for way obvious reasons, but like, I don't know. I, it, that's just kind of like the feeling I get is like anybody that can lock these guys down and punch them in the face is probably going to do a good job at it. Yeah, which leads me to believe that I think they're going to melt or not melt, but similar to, I think they're going to struggle against hard, fast aggro. I think Soul Raid, Ripa's, I think maybe even like Murder Skaven of, of both varieties could give them a hard time. Um, a Voltron Scritch could do wonders in this matchup. Yeah, it's, it'd be crazy. Um, I think... I think warbands that like to fight at two range as well. I'm not saying like the Drepper's matchup. I think the Shadeborn take it um, because they have so many tools to kill Drepper. But again, like a tooled up Voltron Drepper and a tooled up Voltron Slythel, like it's just who dices better. Mm-hmm. And I, so it's really interesting. I think again, like we were talking about weaknesses. I think there are some apparent ones, but I don't think any of those matchups aren't unwinnable, which is why I like it. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be one where it's like 70-30. I think at max, it'll always be 60-40. And that's something that I can live with. Yeah. Uh, thinking now the Drepper matchup is really interesting. And I, ne- I want to play that matchup now. I actually want to see how that goes. So maybe once we get, yeah. once we get these guys on the table, that'll be a good one to look at. Yeah. Or once the mod's up, we can oh, yeah. grind out some For games. Sure. Um, next question. Um, this is a really interesting cause it came up a lot in this episode, but do you like the vulnerable mechanic? I think it's underutilized. I think the idea is interesting to be like, we have a baked in keyword and a baked in mechanic for you're on your last leg. I think it would be more interesting if they leaned into it. I think if you had a way to like give vulnerable as a keyword to a fighter or like, Maybe you had a thing that's like, you know, you an upgrade. You can only give this to a fighter who's wounded, reduce their wound count until they're vulnerable. And then, like, it also gave you some crazy other bonus, like plus three damage or something, you know, some, something like that. Um, and, you know, like, if they leaned into vulnerable more, but I don't think it's good as it's implemented right now. Because right now it's just kind of like, sometimes your opponent will be one wound left and you'll get score an objective or get like plus one dice against it or something like that. And I just don't think that's enough of, of the use of the mechanic. Yeah. That's interesting. I I agree. Like, I think it'd be really interesting actually to have a war band that inspires when a fighter is vulnerable. That could be cool later down the line. If if there's ways in which you can manipulate that, as you suggest Mm -hmm. at the current moment, again, I think it's a novel idea and one that sounds good on paper but ultimately falls flat in practice um, despite this warband's attempts of making it a little bit more relevant. Any, any mechanic you have no control over, I think is bad, like not bad, but like less interesting to me. Grievous is already less interesting to me than other aggressive mechanics, just because it's like it's dice and sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't, you know? Yeah. And you can try to shoot for it by adding in more dice, mm-hmm. but dice are going to dice. True story. Um, next question. Both warbands 
seem to have a lot of grievous. Do you think this is too much? Seems like unnecessary addition of this rule. What do you think about that? <sighs> there is a part of me that feels like they're forcing it. Um, but I also think like the term grievous is synonymizes well with the concept of being an assassin. Yeah. So I think it's a natural leap of like a grievous wound or damage. Like it just makes sense thematically. So I can see why this person thinks that way. Do I think it's too much? A little bit. I feel like there is a part of me that feels like they're just throwing on keywords for the sake of throwing on keywords. Again, it just could just be the concept of assassin and the whole grievous wound attack, whatever. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if like, I don't hate it, but it just seems weird. Uh, I saw somebody call grievous 0.5 damage. Like it's not a plus one damage. It's plus half a damage because around half the time, especially on three dice, uh, getting a crit on three dice is around like 40%. So they, they called it like, Oh, it's plus 0.5 damage because it's not a great strength. You know, if you inspire from two damage to two damage with grievous, it's not like inspiring to three damage, but it's kind of like it. Um, and I think they're, kind you know i don't i don't know what their mindset is if i was designing it and these are the decisions i've made i would say that i've done it as a balancing mechanic to say like i want this fighter to have some more damage but i think giving them a flat plus one damage is too good so we're going to give them grievous instead and in that light i don't think it's too much usage of it i think it's like i think it's just something that they've started to do so I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's fine. Maybe it's not fine. Yeah. I mean, I get it. New mechanic hype Mm -hmm. assassins. Like you're right. The 0.5 makes sense. It's uncontrollable. So it seems more balanced because it's like, Oh, it's just random and it's a dice. Right. So all of that makes sense. All of that stands. It's valid. Um, But I do think that we've seen a lot of it and I do think that is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, last question is one dodge for defense going to be a problem. Absolutely not. Yeah. I think if that's one thing you want to take away from this episode is we have stressed that there are many ways to, um, protect them early and many ways to get them inspired quickly. I mean, I think this warband would be much, it would be lesser if they had, they didn't have the ping damage they had because, having um, rippling shadows or even potentially um, shade stalker darts uh, or, you know, ways to get extra attacks or get fighters in to make like quote unquote free attacks. Like all these ways that you can get inspired quickly and early, it makes the one dodge less of an issue because you're like the, the fighter that I want to get inspired is going to be inspired you have some amount of control over it. You're, I don't, this is not a war band where you're going to have all four inspired by the end of the game, every game, like if they're alive, you know, they, they won't be, but like, um, you're just going to have to choose which one you want to be inspired. And then you're just not going to care about the other ones being inspired. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I don't know if they all need to be inspired. Right. Yeah. That's which is true. what you're inferring. Yeah. So, 
Well, good. I think, I think I really enjoyed that conversation talking about uh, the shade born and their application and their uses. And I'm pretty excited. Yeah, me too. I think, I think both these nether maze, uh, factions are really interesting. Um, yeah. both for new and existing players, anyone who's coming back from a, a long stay away or is a brand new player is going to find a really interesting warband waiting for them in this box. And some beautiful looking miniatures. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, I've got my, um, Knet shadow stalkers from Warcry all painted up and they look amazing. And I think these guys are going to look just aces next to them. Absolutely. And if anyone's worried about, Underworlds existing in the future. If this box sells really well, they're going to keep doing it. So right? go buy it. Yeah, it's, for sure. So go buy it. And all you AOS players who just like to listen but not play, I know you want those new Skaven models. They haven't been updated in like 20 years. You're going to go for it. That, uh, I think, uh, Slithale is going to be conv- like, I think people should buy her and play her as is and put her on the table and play Underworlds. But I think you're going to get a lot of AOS players using her as conversion fodder because. That's a great kit. Yeah. I even saw someone saying on one of the AOS Facebook pages, like, I'm going to buy this just because I want her as my leader for my Warcry Warband. True. And I was like, hell yeah. Yes. Hell yeah, dude. Love yes. that. And oh, in that vein, I hope we get more Bladeborne Fighters for the Harrow Deep and Nether Maze stuff because those additions to Warcry for Shadespire through uh, Dire Chasm was such a boost for that game. And I think it's a boost in both mm-hmm. directions because it's like if you are int- it, like if you can go and pick up Direchasm and it works in both games, like like that that's great. That's awesome for everybody involved. Yeah. Bladeborn is uh, is actually a very fun game. It's just it's Warcry meets Underworlds, right? It's that hex based like movement that we love, but right? But then some more. But then they added them to Warcry like legitimately for all the warbands. Yeah. So like so yeah. now you can. You know, my uh, my Bone Splitters warband is Mad Mob plus a couple dudes that I have sitting around. So it's it, it's nice having that extra bit of uh, play for both games. Yeah, I think it's like Tome of Champions or yeah, something. Yeah, Tome of Champions 2021 is the uh, book that they're in. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. Um, and at the risk of Zach and I... <laughs> rambling on. You know, just rambling on for another hour. I think we're going to call it Makes here. Yeah. So once again, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join our current patrons, you can do so at patreon.com slash path to glory. Um, the special end phase episode for this will be a deck. Honestly, I think Zach's going to do cloud pack. I'm going to do Shadeborn. We're going to build some decks. We're going to share it with our patrons. We're going to talk about why we like those cards. It's going to be exciting. Um, if you're looking for our uh, reviews coming up, um, you can check us out at pathoglorypodcast.com that's where our blog content is you can check out path to glory gaming youtube channel and then of course this podcast if you have any feedback questions or comments let us know on facebook twitter or discord at path to glory podcast and wherever you're listening whether it's spotify amazon itunes etc please give us a rating five star rating if possible the more people that can hear about underworlds the more potential we have of people joining and uh playing this game having fun spreading the word and it lasting longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And as always, thanks for listening. And we wish you the best of luck on your path to glory.